Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, I have the usual crew. We have Josh Torres. Everything happened this week, apparently. We have Adam Vitali. Hello. We have James Galizio. When it rains, it pours. And Chow Min Wu. How's it going? So what James and Josh are referring to is that we have a ton of news to go through today. This whole podcast will likely be 90% news focused about what came out of Gamescom. We had a small Nintendo Direct. Square Enix seemed to decide to update all of their works in progress with new uh, trailers or press releases. So we tried to list everything here, get it in a nice, uh, meaningful order. We're going to go through it. We have a bunch of stuff up on the site for some new releases. So we're going to focus a little bit less on just talking about games we've been playing. A lot of us are kind of still working through the Deluge of August releases, uh, and it's going to be very news-focused. So uh, hopefully that's your jam. We're going to go through it. We're going to try to poke out all the most exciting details from Gamescom or other events that all seem to happen in the last seven days. Uh, there's a few announcements in here, some that were kind of expected and some that are kind of out of nowhere. A lot of gameplay trailers. So a podcast might be, might not be the most suitable to talk about game tra- gameplay trailers specifically, but we'll go ahead and pick out the highlights there and go through what we thought were the neatest ones we saw and a few, uh, a few new release dates and a few other details. Uh, so we're just going to kind of go through that in as good of an order as we can. To talk about games we have been playing, there's really only one that we need to highlight just kind of briefly at the start here, and it's related to a couple features that are up on the site. Uh, We mentioned in the last couple weeks, we had obviously a bunch of the Xenoblade guides and the review, and then last week, uh, Soul Hackers 2 went up, and the review was up last week, and over the last seven days, Adam has also put a bunch of guides up on that. Obviously, that released just a couple days ago at the time of this recording, so if you're working through Soul Hackers 2, not only do we have the review up on the site, but we have a bunch of guides for that. So this week, the iteration for the next game is we have a review up for SD Gundam Battle Alliance. So Josh was able to talk about this briefly in a previous episode of the podcast in a preview capacity. In the last seven days, he did put up a official review up on the site, along with at least one guide for it for the um, uh, blueprints which I don't know the details of that, but I'm going to just hand it off to Josh. Uh, Since Josh did mention uh, and go through some details about his thoughts on Battle Alliance earlier, this might be a little bit abbreviated, but here's a chance just to kind of give some final thoughts, go through like what made it into his review, his his impressions of the game. And we'll just kind of kick things off with that before we go into the big news deluge. So Josh, SD Gundam Battle Alliance. This game's pretty interesting because this is, as I mentioned at the beginning of my review, this is the first game from Studio Art Think in a really long time. This is the first game in like about a decade, with their last Gundam developed game being the Gundam Seed Battle Destiny on the Vita in 2012. And for people who know who don't know about Studio Art Think, they were very much, uh, you know, kind of a smaller uh, Japanese developer. They also developed. Um, triangle strategy earlier this year i was about to say like, didn't they do one of the square enix games and it was triangle strategy yeah, yeah. so they they really for gundam fans they really reached their peak around the psp era because they came out with titles like gundam battle chronicle and gundam battle universe that never got official localizations but during back then you know like i was uh, when i was playing on my psp uh admittedly i i was in that crowd of like i kind of quote unquote obtained those Games, not necessarily imported them, but I like Gundam, and I was like, okay, I want to, uh, you know, take around with those games. So that, so seeing this game being developed by Arctic really, really struck a chord with me because, like, okay, I really like those uh, titles they did when I was like way younger. 
So going to Battle Alliance when I first when I last talked about it, it was like the a brief demo of it uh, that was up on consoles. And then the the full game really surprised me. There's an action RPG. You have like your it's your standard like you know action RPG battle system of like you know your sta- light and heavy attacks into like air combos. Uh, it's like you know it's very uh, basic stuff, but then you can like kind of mix around like sub weapons that like, each suit has that are usually like very unique per um, playable robot in the game. And each playable robot has like th- uh, one of three roles, whether they're like. Uh, melee focused in there with an infighter and all-rounder which is balances his melee in range and sharpshooter which is more tuned to like using their sub weapons and ranged um options and the there's you know like their stat allocations are kind of influenced by like their job along with like certain action roles that they have like with sharpshooters they can refill their sub weapons instantly with uh all-rounders they can uh you know cancel into like longer combos and so forth so and that, what really surprised me going through this game, because I primarily obviously played it solo for the review of that this has a big multiplayer element, but I was like, okay, like, it's kind of a weird effect when people see, like, the SD super deformed aesthetic, they're like, oh, okay, this is probably for, like, tuned for a younger crowd, more of a casual, you know, uh, game, like, more on the easy side. Going through this solo, no, <laughs> this is actually a strangely challenging game. And that that's because that you're when you go out into missions up to three like a three uh, party team can go out and you can uh, pair yourselves with two AI partners uh, going through it solo. The the AI partners are really really dumb in this game and they <laughs> they can't be trusted. You because when you when you go out in battle you only have a limited amount of healing items on you, um, and that depends on roll two. With in fighters only getting three healing items and sharpshooters only getting a maximum of five, and then like. Every hit you get when you're like on like either when you're under leveled or like on par with the level of like enemies, um, they they hurt and that that damage adds up because these are just basically linear stages. You go through grunts and then there's usually a boss battle at the end, and then stages usually take a ra- average of ten minutes. Some can get a little longer and uh, later so, on. Uh, so I just want to check with something like yeah. on the allied team, is it always yeah. the same number of mobile suits? But it's just if you're playing single player, your team is comprised of AI, and then if you're playing with players, yeah. You, yeah, so you have substitute in. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so like, yeah, when you're when you're so a you're, so you're at a disadvantage. With yeah, pretty much because like because <laughs> unless like, your friends you are terrible. Down, exactly. When when you when you go down um, in battle, usually you can usually use a repair kit. Like when you're limited healing, I used to do an emergency repair, which will get you up without the help of anyone. Or but you'll still be at low HP. You just you just got yourself up without needing anyone else. Or you need to wait for someone to get you up. And uh, and a, a lot of uh, the the game centers around like threat management, like bosses. They'll always like display when you see their health bar. You'll see who they're aggroed to. In single player, it becomes of like, okay, do I just get myself back up and like risk like you know taking one of my healing items, or do I just wait for my dumb AI? And usually, the AI being uh, having the enemy's attention will be also be the one trying to revive you. So it's kind of like a you can't really strategize around them. You're you're more like babysitting and trying not try to. Uh, have some form of self-reservation because your AI partners don't. So it's a. Uh, I had an okay time with it in single player, but that's like with the heavy, heavy, like acknowledgement that like this game is probably way better in multiplayer. So, um, when when the PC version came out, since I got a pre-release code on P- uh, the PlayStation, I picked it up on PC and played a ton of it, a ton of it with my friends, and the multiplayer aspect of this game 
is really really fun when you're just playing with uh buddies because you guys can like help each other out there's there's actually you know they're actually doing they're actually putting uh in their own like uh, good damage unlike your ai partners which attack very slowly they're not really that aggressive of course way better than just like uh, human partners are just way better to ha- to have with you in general so yeah, I guess my my recommendation is like if you're looking for like if you like Gundams because this is like a crossover Gundam story and like it is a pretty fun crossover Gundam story um, because like the basic outline is like hey there's like the, you're basically viewing Gundam timelines in a simulation and like something has gone wrong in the simulation where like other Gundams from other Gundam series and timelines are starting starting to break through other ones so you have to like kind of repair the canon of each universe represented in the game so like the the two like uh anime girls like giving like their commentary on like what's going on they're like part of the story like one of them it comes from a perspective of like they don't know anything about gundam because they were kind of sucked up from the one year war and then another one is just an ai construct and like having to like explain what these gundam series are to someone who's totally like not you know doesn't have any background at all is kind of it's pretty amusing because it's very like a lot of the dialogue is very flavorful with Gundam fan service and so forth. So, um, like it's, well, it's, it's that pretty, seems like it's well suited for someone who might have like a passing interest of Gundam or seen a series or three, yeah, but, maybe, but, yeah. but needs a, but needs a little bit of guidance for like, Oh, I kind of yeah. recognize, I saw this one, but I forget, I never saw it show. And then having these two characters act as kind of like being able to introduce mm-hmm. it to that audience. Yeah, I don't know, it seems, yeah. seems like a good framework for it. It, it. it is interesting because I've had some friends who have, like, I've never really watched the Gundam, but then they gave this uh, a shot because they like action RPGs. So now, obviously, like, they kind of have questions like, oh, what's going on with this character? What's going on with this character? And having other friends explain to them, like, how how crazy Gundam series are in general and, like, kind of giving some sort of background to it is, has been a really funny experience um, in that regard. So like I, I like I guess if you're a fan of action RPGs and you want to play an action RPG that's actually well like tuned for multiplayer and not just like incidental, like I guess a, a comparison would be like Gundam Breaker uh, Three, for example, where like you can play multiplayer in that game and it's fine. Like you know you guys are having a good time, but like you like there's nothing there's not really content in the game that's like it's really constructed for multiplayer. It's just like you guys are just beating up on something and just having a good time, but there's not really any sort for form of teamwork unlike in sd gundam battle alliance where like the 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 combat is more well balanced and well more like it's more the conservative side you're not like a a living walking one-man army god like in in gundam breaker 3 eventually you really every mobile has been like deliberately tuned to like work with others and like so like their their objects are more limited but they're more deliberately crafted uh in a way so like like the big mobile armor bosses like the psycho gundam destroy gun of the big zam you know those bosses are like very threatening in this game because they hit really really hard and inevitably like well, like several of your teammates including you will probably like get ko'd in the middle of battle so like a lot of that's like okay this person's down i have aggro go res them while i have aggro so it's a pretty neat experience it's, it's definitely not something that you don't see much in gundam games it's a fairly novel in that space and i was really surprised because i was really wondering like i you know it's kind of a weird thing when this game released on steam i think it saw as a mixed review and a lot of those it's really funny a lot of those mixed reviews come from like players that played like an sd uh, like capsule or sd go mmo that came that was like 
I think it was primarily in Korea, and that was like many, many years ago. So their complaints are it's not the MMO that I used to play like ages ago, which is like crazy, you know, because they never said it was going to be that. But it's also when I look at like active player base and numbers on Steam, obviously, you know, I only rely on Steam charts for this. I don't know how the console versions are because there's no crossplay unless it's like the same family of systems. But when I like to go check the Steam charts for this game, like there's a lot of active players on this. Last time I checked this morning, it was like over 20,000. And it's like, that's crazy. Like, I, I really wonder, you know, how well this will do. And like whether it falls in line with like does Bamco sees this uh, as a success off the gate out of the gate, you know, I really wonder like if people are really really if it's like just stealthily catching on behind the scenes, you know, in between like bigger more popular releases coming out now, you know, like Soul Hackers two for example. So I don't know. Maybe well, let's, like well, a, let's a, see. A ST Gundam Battle Alliance has ten thousand players on Steam right now as the time of the recording and soul hackers mm-hmm. 2 has let's see 4000 so it's clearly on yeah. battle line yeah. i know this is this is like apples and tomatoes but they are uh so 10,000 versus 4000 so clearly sd gun battle alliance has sold two and a half times as much like that's that's there just go. sd gundam sweep there we go we're yeah. in there but yeah i mean i i enjoyed my time with this game this is like like i said if you have some like-minded friends who want to like just play a co-op action RPG and have a good time. And like, it has like, it's pretty challenging. Like it won't, you, it's not something you can just like easily like, you know, roll over. Um, you know, this might be a game for you. Like there's, uh, there's still the demo up on like uh PlayStation, Xbox and switch. There's no steam demo. So if you guys have access to that or interested in checking it out, seeing if it's for you, uh, give that a try. It's like the, the early stages of the game. So it's a bit on the easier side. But like you know, see if it's uh, like if the battle system is for you. If you like how uh, things are, and there's you know a lot of like RPG elements. You do level up suits, you level their stats, you equip them parts, you uncap their levels. Uh, the further you go in, and so on. So there's a lot. It's a it's a pretty meaty game, and you know circling back on like the blueprints guide uh, on the site, like to unlock uh, new robots in the game, um, you you have to get their parts, their blueprints like drops uh, from stages. So for like a lot of the later ones that you start developing, you need to like go farm like earlier stages to like you know start uh, getting those blueprint drops. So it could be difficult to navigate in game whether what stage has like the blueprint for you. So I kind of, as I was going through the game, I was like, I wish there was a list. I was like, I'll just go make that list. So I uh, have it, it was. That's right. Uh, I, I it, was, it took a long time. <laughs> Believe me, it was a lot of work. But you know, people seem to like it. Um, People are like, thank you so much for the list. You know, it really helps out. And yeah, just go, go give it a shot if you need that. It's up on the site, ready to go. So up on the site, we've got the SD Gundam Battle Alliance review and uh, from Josh and also the uh, blueprint list for the SD Gundam Battle Alliance, uh, both up on the site. So if you have picked that up, uh, go ahead and give both things a read. And that kind of covers us for games we've been playing because... Uh, we are basically going to push anything that we're currently working on uh, to future podcasts as we focus this week on primarily all the news that came out that I detailed earlier in the in the recording. Before I do that, though, there is one feature up on the site that I do want to make sure that I highlight. So about two years ago, we brought a- along a freelancer who is an editor for FFworld.com, which is a French fan site, Jeremy Kamarik who put together for RPG site 
and his own website, a really nice kind of biography for Hiroshi Takai, who is the director of Final Fantasy 16. Well, we were able to bring Jeremy back to put together a similar bio for the creative director of Final Fantasy 16, Kazutoyo Mahiro. So this is up on the site and basically it just talks about who Mahiro is. Because obviously when we talk about Final Fantasy 16, uh, Yoshi P ends up getting a lot of kind of like the marketing buzz out of the like the wake of the success of Final Fantasy 14. But a couple of years ago, we were able to give Takai a highlight with the feature. But now we're also going to give it to Mahiro talking about his kind of his under understated work on Final Fantasy Tactics, on Final Fantasy 12, on uh, um, Tactics Ogre. I think it's Tactics Ogre. But we, he, Jeremy basically goes through like chronologically who he is, and it's a nice companion piece to the Takai piece. Both of these are up on the site. So it kind of gives a little bit of detail of like who is developing Final Fantasy 16 and why we should be uh, excited about it, in addition to Yoshida. So that's up on the site. It is who is Final Fantasy 16 creative director Kazutoyo Mahiro developer profile. So I do want to make, I did. Go ahead. It's a it's an, it's an amazing developer profile. I gave it a read like uh, a few days ago, and it is Jeremy's incredibly thorough. talented. Yeah, very thorough, very well researched, and you know this just yeah, Jeremy was fantastic. Blew it blew it away with this uh, mm-hmm. basically like uh, biography piece on my heroes, like you know past works. Um, yeah, that definitely give it a read, and like it's it a lot of it is like understanding of per like a, especially a creative directors like past and what they've worked on and their design philosophies will really inform you about what's next moving forward so you know i'm sure we'll definitely revisit this developer profile when ff16 comes out and seeing like fighting the lineage of like the content ff16 has and like it can be traced back into like i'm sure several of like the passwords that may heroes has worked on especially with terms of like design systems mechanics Kind of like a, a really big thing is developer profile with my hero is, um, you know, going like especially in FF12 when you go into like a new FF12 zone and you see like that big monster that's like way over leveled than you, almost like the Xenoblade effect of like you go into this zone and you see a very challenging monster ahead of you and you th- and you think about it, it's like can I take that on? Okay, I'm gonna give it a shot and, and like a lot of that is kind of like some of the things that define. Um, you know, my hero's uh, perspective on game development, which is really, really exciting to me because I, I love that feeling. And Adam will be excited that both of these uh, have call-outs to The Last Remnant. So Adam will be on deck for seeing how that talent goes into Final Fantasy sixteen. Well, I don't expect sixteen to have any saga-like mechanics, but yeah. maybe in terms of other mechanics... So, in terms yeah. of art direction, I can kind of see it. For sure. Mm-hmm. Like world design stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can see the lineage there. All right. And with that, we're going to go into news. Now, there's a couple ways we could do it. We could we could do this. There's We have a lot of items here, so we're going to try to present this as in as organized a manner as possible. Uh, instead of just going chronologically and just having a hodgepodge from different developers of different types of things, we tried to. I tried to kind of list this into like what type of news it is. We're going to start with uh, some gameplay trailers for some existing announced titles. We're going to go into maybe some gameplay details of announced titles that weren't accompanied by a trailer. There were a few announcements with one specific headline here uh, that were announced this week. And then we're going to kind of go into some of the stuff that came out of the Gamescom stream, specifically Keeley's stream and some of the other stuff from around that. I guess Gamescom technically ends tomorrow, but I think most of the major announcements have already filtered through the various uh, outlets. 
So we'll go through the Gamescom specific news in the second half, and then we'll catch up at the very end with some release date sales updates, minor news like we typically do. What I have listed here at the top is a gameplay trailer for a game that was announced only earlier this summer. This is Wo Long Fallen Dynasty. This is the Koei Tecmo game built from the uh, the Neo team for the uh, action RPG that takes place in the Three Kingdoms era of China. So yeah, those are those are Neo bias uh, showing having this uh, as the headliner. Oh well, what did you have <laughs> listed first? No, this is first. Yeah, yeah so I mean, back... have you seen that trailer? Yeah, it's so is... fucking good. Yeah, this gameplay trailer is awesome. Yeah, so back in June, we got like a pretty long, like cinematic trailer with some things that kind of hinted at what the gameplay might be like. Uh, but here we got it's not a long trailer, but it's a minute of just gameplay without a lot of preamble or pretense, with lots of lots of quick cuts, lots of cool enemy uh, and environments shown. Uh, it's just I don't know. It looks really neat, and I am biased because of the. Uh, the Neo, even though I haven't mm-hmm. played Neo 1 still, so I'm, maybe I'm just a fraud. But Neo 2 is it's great. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Neo 2 is fine for covering all of Neo, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, this is, this, is, this is great. Like, it, it shows, like, you know, there's a dedicated jump button in this. That, that it's very, that, and they mentioned there's no stamina system in this as well. So it's, it's very much focused on, like, Chinese martial arts and uh, weapon mastery. And you see a lot of that in the trailer. It reminds me, the flow of it uh, that they've shown feels a little bit more Sekiro. Than Dark Souls, it does look pretty aggressive. Uh, you know, you know, Josh, it's interesting <laughs> you say Sekiro there when there's another Team Ninja IP that would be a better uh, comparison point. Mm-hmm. It's very much more Ninja Gaiden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure, yeah. You, you see you see a lot of those elements from both Sekiro and Ninja Gaiden in it, and especially like when it comes to like, the finishers on like, some of the bosses that they show, it reminds you of like Ninja Gaiden camera choreography when you'd like fit take down those bosses it's it's very fast very visceral and looks very promising i i like a lot of what they're saying about this game especially because i love the three kingdoms era so seeing their rendition of like a a more demonic like three kingdom uh era and like i I hope to see some of my favorites there i hope to see Cao Cao. i hope to see shaho dune i hope to see of course probably gonna see lubu there uh, Zhang Liao, you know, like I'm just thinking of like all my favorite like characters throughout the Three Kingdoms. I'm like, I hope they're represented in some way, shape, or form in this game, and that's really exciting to me because you know, like Dio did a similar thing with like you know how they um, portrayed Nobunaga, you know, how they mm-hmm. portrayed um, you know Maeda in it, and it's like, oh man, I'm so I'm so I'm so looking forward to this game. Not to mention visually, it already looks fantastic, and this has still got like what six seven months in the oven before it's coming out yeah it's slated for early 2023 so i don't know if it's like late in the fiscal year or if it's going to be probably the early the early year period is always hard to like judge because it always seems like early next year from any given year is the packed year but then inevitably some stuff gets delayed out of that but right now it's just slated for early 2023 what's uh what's what's exciting is we're probably going to get like like direct gameplay footage of this in the coming weeks because there's going to be a playable demo at Tokyo Game Show. So I'm sure a lot which of is mid September, yeah, yeah, a lot of Japanese outlets for sure are going to be uploading, you know, that what they played uh, on it. So we get to see like what the HUD elements are and just like what players can expect when they get their hands on the controller, and that's exciting. Yeah, Honestly, and the tra- th- sorry, I was just going to say the trailer here, yeah, is as Josh alluded to, was completely HUDless, which was fun. Honestly, with how uh, with how finished the trailer already looks, and the fact it's early 2023, it might be sooner than we think. 
Who knows? Maybe, yeah, yeah. And shout next- outs to um, uh, like Kite who compiled this too, because it's important to note that like this will be released in multiple languages. So a lot of the English, they have the Japanese and Chinese uh, language for this too, because I imagine you know a lot of, a lot of uh, Chinese players will want to see the Three Kingdoms you know properly represented in their native tongue uh, for this game. So good on them. And on our uh, news post on the site, we do have all all language trailers linked. So the next uh, game that we got a bit of uh, a good bit of new gameplay for is the upcoming Square Enix Rune Factory like absence of a better word <laughs> Harvestella. So this was actually part of a Nintendo Treehouse stream earlier in the week, but also Square Enix independently shared several new screenshots and details as well. So we got. Uh, a lot of new details about the Harvestella story. Obviously, some gameplay uh, in the context of the Treehouse presentation. It was kind of appended to uh, like some Splatoon footage and stuff as well. It's always kind of interesting to see that they've got... Because uh, it is a PC and Switch release, remember. Still looks really as charming as ever. It has a really... I really like the art in, in this. I forget who the artist uh, was that was doing this game. So the concept artist is Isamu Kamiko Kurio. Um... I don't know if they've shared the exact character designer for the game publicly yet. But. And Isamu has done like Final Fantasy Twelve and other Ivalice, um art. He's also done some concept art for Sixteen, I believe. Um, yeah, he's, he does a lot of Square Enix concept art, like especially mm-hmm. like locations. Yes. Oh. Yeah, and that, that, that's a big thing. Like uh, with this game, like the the Isamu, um like shared like shares like concept art of like the the seasons in the game because they're a big focus and like. What the seasons look like when they kind of like go under like that, um, like that bad season in the game that like has like bad stuff going on. I feel like a little shallow because I've never really been interested in like any farming sim or even like farming sim RPG hybrid like Rune Factory. But just because like this art style is more my taste, I'm like, you know what, Harvestella looks really neat. Like I've never been interested in Rune Factory, but this one, I'm like, you know what, I I might make space for this one. I mean, that's uh, that's a lot of people's sentiments about this game. It's like they never really got into farming, or like they never really got to like Rune Factory or Early Harvest Moon, and so forth. But there's something about the aesthetic of this game that really clicks for them. Um, so I, I I get it. You know that that there's a really really like distinct look in the game, both in characters and environments. Um, the it, it was funny that like the treehouse uh, thing was like the Harvestella gameplay came after like a Splatoon three segment. So like when Nintendo announced that's like that's a really weird crossover announcement, I guess. Like there's no crossover content in the game, but like in terms of like target audience, it's like someone said, ah, just put Harvestella at the end of Splatoon 3, you know? It's like, all right, I guess. Um yeah, it's uh they showed, like you said, um uh more stuff about the game, the the things that stuck out to me is like, hey, like the the new job, the the single screenshot of the new job, the assault savant. Looks like the character is doing a Kamehameha. And and they they showed um like you can have pets in the game, you can have livestock. And you know, just kinda I think I think the the thing that the target audience wants to know still is like, can you date people in the game? <laughs> is there romance in the game? Can you marry someone in the game? The closest thing we know of so far is that there are character stories mm-hmm. of the different characters, and then like there is an affinity that you gain with characters through that. Right, but but maybe not romance. Maybe romance. Who knows? Probably yeah. Doesn't seem like it. Like there's no there's no hard evidence yet. Yeah, we don't know. They they they're they're kind of keeping their info close to the chest. Like we just learned today uh, with the recent uh, news. It's like hey, there's a whole like group of uh, 
beings called omens that are hated by humans because they're kind of like part of the part of the bad stuff that's happening like the the like the the omens are supposed to be the race that's like the cause of like the uh the quietest season that's causing all the bad stuff in the game and then like one of the very first like companions that you meet is an omen called uh named dianthus and she seems to be like uh, her design is so cool because she's like like a, a big like buff like all clad in black armor and then like her hair kind of like flows out of the helmet as well and she has like a big staff thing and like cool that's a rad ass design and like her heels are on her <laughs> her heels on like her her footwear are like they look like stilettos that help her like keep her like frame up too it's it's bizarre it's kind of cool i dig it and this is uh coming out this year this is for early november 2022 for pc and switch yes Another one that is slated for early next year is a game that we've talked about on several occasions with like, I feel like we have a different vibe every time we talk about this. This is Square Enix and Luminous Productions for Spoken. So we got a new like 10 minute gameplay trailer uh, this, that was kind of announced. We already heard about the delay to January 24 of next year for this game. This game was originally supposed to release in January of this year, wasn't it? Or early this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's next year, early but we got a new 10 minute gameplay trailer in recent months. I feel like Forspoken has kind of been memed on for like, it's uh quote unquote cringy, like trying to be like movie style trailer from the protagonist of the, from the uh, perspective of the protagonist Frey. But now we got a 10 minute gameplay trailer uh, from square Enix that I think is the first time I've seen footage of this game. And not kind of felt like turned off by it. It actually, because I feel like it slowed down a little bit. It just shows some more raw gameplay of like exploration in the overworld and less flashy like camera pans of the magic attacks, which I think the magic system is cool. But I do like that this trailer for Forspoken just kind of slows down and just shows, you know, movement in the overworld, conversations with NPCs alongside traversal and some magic spells as well. So I don't I, know. I this think, yeah, I, I, I've, I think it's just like it's best to like just let this sh- shut everyone up and just like <laughs> let the game speak for itself. I'll just like like this game looks cool when like you just like show gameplay and that's it. You don't have to like give like some sort of narration or what's going on or like try to like give some flavor of what's going on. Just like let the game speak for itself as you know someone is playing through the game normally. So like this kind of like uh, believe it or not, this kind of like the first time we saw that like hey you can actually traverse a town and like speak to like a merchant. And like, hey, there's, it's cool that there's like you can follow cats around to help you navigate around town. Cool that you can actually like accept a quest and like this is what you do for that quest. You can you, you give some footage of like this is what like traversal looks like on the way of like doing that quest. There's like these safe havens that you can do of like where you can just like craft things and make healing items and rest there. And it's like this kind of like basic structural game info of just like this is what the gameplay loop and cycle is of this game. And like that's kind of what the game's needed for like frankly almost a year now yeah because a lot of the framework about the isekai story and things like that we kind of got super early on and didn't need to be like delved into too much but that's kind of all they really focused on for like a half year worth of marketing and it was it just got boring they focused a little bit on magic which was admittedly kind of cool but you kind of had to like peel back the layers to get to it where now it feels like they finally said like all right here's the game you can finally start to glean like what you actually do in it how it actually might play how it might be organized how you might progress through it so yeah uh to state it bluntly like you said just 
shut them up a little bit. There is still like narration talking about what the, what you're seeing here, but it's more uh, it's less diegetic and more just in trailer format. It's a little bit more just basic, but I think that's kind of what this game needed. It's just what does what is a gameplay trailer for Forspoken? Well, here it is. Yeah, I, f- I feel like this might be a little bit mean, but I I, I think the best thing that's happened for Forspoken in the last like week has just been that new gameplay and like footage of like high on life that has dialogue that's even like more cringeworthy than Forspoken. So everyone's just like, you know what? It could be worse. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, there's actually like really cool things about the game that like, like outside of combat, like the traversal of like casting a spell to like, well, like surf on water in the game. Like that looks sick, you know? Traversal looks really fun in the game. So it's just, I'm hoping like once I get, you know, I sit down with it, I actually play it for myself. Like I have an enjoyable time and like, uh, because like there's so much of this game, like I, I want to like it, but they're like the, the marketing has done a poor job at making me want to like it. <laughs> so, just, so finally it's just like, okay, the, the at least Forspoken got like at least one good showing in the last year. And one of the last major gameplay trailers that we wanted to highlight here near the start of the podcast was for the first time in, I believe, a while, we finally got some new footage for next year's Aiden Chronicles 100 Heroes. Obviously, we had uh, Aiden Chronicles Rising released not too long ago that served as kind of like the prelude. We've kind of gone over the podcast about what exactly that game is anyways, but um, Publisher 505 Games, as part of their Gamescom uh marketing released a new trailer for Aiden Chronicles 100 Heroes and if you've played Aiden Chronicles Rising there are a few characters you'll recognize so as someone who has not played Suikoden which is obviously what this game is ostensibly a spiritual successor for I'll hand it off to Adam like when you watch this Aiden Chronicles 100 Heroes this new footage from Gamescom this year is this kind of what you expected this is what you want to see yeah I mean this trailer is only like a minute long with a bunch of logos um also taking up trailer time but it looks good, you know. I I like sprites. I feel like, you know, whenever we see sprite games, like that just kind of draws my eyes to it. Um, sprites are good. Yeah, it's so the characters that we saw, we saw like you see a handful of characters. The two that are from Rising are Garou, who is the mercenary kangaroo with the broadsword, as, as well as Melor, who is the uh, the magical girl. And so you see them in battle. So they are party members. Um, one thing that was interesting is I believe the trailer said there are over a hundred playable characters. And I'm like, wait, over a hundred playable? Yeah, that's how it surprised me too. <laughs> like, because wow. Suikoden has a hundred and eight, but only like only only like fifty of them are playable or sixty maybe. Like half of them you, you kind of recruit and have different in Suikoden. I mean, they have like different functions that they do, but they're not like. Anyways, I don't know what they mean by playable in this sense. But uh, they also showed a shark man who is very cool. Oh, He's yeah. a shark. With a, uh, so we have an alligator chain. man, we have a shark man, we have a kangaroo man. Are you yeah. sure they're not in the DC universe? <laughs> uh, he's not Killer Shark or whoever the DC one is. But um, uh, the probably the most interesting part about the trailer is that the battle scenes. It's a turn-based battle system, but it's got like this dynamic camera that seems to like kind of swing around the battlefield. It's you know it's kind of hard to get a get a grasp of it from a trailer but it looks like as you change from like character to character doing different attacks the camera will kind of swing around you know adds a little bit of uh of a dynamic flair to the turn-based battles so a lot of the effects are cool from what we see um we see the, the trailer shows various attacks from the characters um so yeah i mean to be honest there's not a whole lot more we can glean from it in terms of like i don't really know what the game's story is i'm sure if you like devour the kickstarter you can find it but i'm just like i'll just 
see that as it comes. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I, I think I don't know if the Steam page for it is new, but there was like a basic description on the st- that the Steam page that I put over on the news post as well. But you know, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. you got- like, story premise doesn't really matter as much to me as like I'll just see it in the game if I've already. Yeah, I don't need. I don't need to read a summary of it. I'll just yeah. you know, I'll I'll get it as it comes. Yeah, uh, if you go to the Kickstarter page, there's like monthly updates are up to forty seven. So like, if you're yeah. up on that. If you're, you could be up to date on that and get like little piecemeal updates on all the characters and all the art if you want. But yeah, I'm kind of with you, Adam, where I'm just like, well, I don't even have like the nostalgia for Suikoden. I should play that. But just what I liked Rising enough as like a preamble to the world. It'll be cool to kind of see some characters carry forward from that. I really do like, I like sprites as well. It's kind of got an HD 2D type style without specifically being in that engine, quote unquote. Uh, so I think this looks really neat and I'm excited to see it next year. I was gonna say, um, they don't look like marionettes like the, the crop rising anymore. The character actually moves oh, kind of. That's now. it's worth mentioning that the developer is totally different. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Rising was developed by like Natsume Atari, where this is being developed by Rabbit and Bear. So oh, I guess that probably explains <laughs> why there was a huge difference in quality. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, like the, the rising was always meant to be just a side project. Is like it's it was more like. It was a nice like Kickstarter like stretch goal because like we did so successful, we were so successful that we want to like kind of give back to people mm-hmm. for helping us reach that. And you know that, that this and this it was reflected in the like, price too. Yeah, and this is looking like hopefully you know a, a, a good Kickstarter, a good successful Kickstarter, and hopefully everyone's like, and hopefully like like expectations are met, and hopefully that like people who like really pitched into the Kickstarter for like like goods like get them in a timely manner as well which is always the tricky thing with kickstarters on top of like just delivering the product is like delivering back to the people who financially supported you like along the in way. my experience with kickstarter is like as long as the creators are transparent about what they're doing it's usually the project goes pretty well but a lot of times they don't really come off as transparent and always try to pull some shady shady deal in the back doors and uh, just ruins the entire project altogether and it happens mostly way more yeah, often, yeah, yeah. More, more often than that it's unfortunately but you know well, uh, more on that later because this is not the last time we're gonna be talking about, talking about a, a kickstarter project well i was thinking i was actually gonna go into that topic okay. next just because it seems sure. like it's we're in the mode Alrighty, so this is probably this probably could have been if i wasn't neo-biased the uh the first thing in the podcast in the news section uh and this is basically another set of kickstarter projects that are ostensibly spiritual successors to very popular JRPG series from yesteryear. So who here are fans of the Wild Arms and or Shadow Hearts series? Because series. Yeah, probably I'm gonna guess it's Chow Josh and me. Hey, I've played I've played one Shadow Hearts game. It was the it was the third one that no one likes, but I've played it. <laughs> the third uh, one is underrated. I think the third one is actually it's okay. it's all right, but it's not as good as the first two. It, it, it was in the shadow of two, though, so that's the that's it's the functionally main identical to two, just with worse characters. Yeah, <laughs> but it's literally identical, like kind of almost like disturbingly so. But, All right, um, so yeah. the core creators behind both the Wild Arms series and the Shadow Heart series have teamed up to launch a double Kickstarter aimed at creating spiritual successors for each of these. Here are the titles. For the Wild Arms developers, they have released a Kickstarter for a new project titled Armed Fantasia. 
It's just so an this upcoming is, Kickstarter. These these guys launches are on not Monday. Yeah. Uh, so by the time you listen to this, it might be launched. But yeah, the the Kickstarter will open on August 29th. We're recording this podcast a few days ahead of that. Um, the funding goal for the Kickstarter campaign for both is 750,000 US dollars. Uh, so for Armed Fantasia, this is the Wild Arms spiritual successor. It includes Wild Arms creator. Akafumi Kaneko, character designer Tomomi Sasaki, uh, composer Michiko Naruke. And this is the one you wanted to highlight, right, Adam? You really like the composer Michiko? Yeah, Naruke is awesome. Uh, well, and then also three and half of four. Yeah, and then, yeah, so basically this is, I see uh, in the credits of all these creators here, Wild Arms 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and XF. So this is like truly getting the gang back together for Wild Arms, for Armed Fantasia. Uh, and we'll go into details maybe more later, for, but the second game for the Shadow Hearts spiritual successor, the title is Penny Blood. So, and very again, similar to the Wild Arms, uh, Armed Fantasia for Penny Blood, which is the Shadow Hearts. They've got uh, the creator, Matsuho Machida, the character designer, Miyako Kato, and the composer, Yoshitaki Hirota. So basically all veterans of the Shadow Hearts trilogy. As a kind of a side note, um, Capcom composer, or sorry, former Capcom composer, Akari Kaida, who did Breath of Fire, uh, has also jumped on to the project to help compose for uh, this Penny Blood, which is the, again, the Shadow Hearts spiritual successor. I think that's actually a very valid, like, composer to add. He, he not from the Shadow Hearts series, but I think his jazz style or her jazz style, excuse me, I believe, yeah. uh, uh, I think would be very suitable for this game set in the 1920s. Yeah. Breath so. of Fire 3 really nailed that. So yeah. <laughs> Breath of Fire 3 has the best soundtrack of the series, in my opinion. And yeah, that's yeah, the composer jumping on to Penny Blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd like to, to, to be clear once again, because this is such a weird concept. This is that they're dubbing this as a double Kickstarter campaign. That's opening at August 29th at 9, 9 a.m. Pacific. And they're seeking a funding goal of $750,000 US dollars to fund both game projects. This is pretty common and obvious speculation, I think. But it seems like the funding is almost more like a proof of concept where it's like, hey, if we can get if we can show a, a potential publisher that people are interested in this and we can raise, let's just say, shy of a million I don't know. I don't remember how much Ayudin raised, but like if they can raise that much, which definitely isn't enough to cover the whole cost, they can maybe sign on a publisher and maybe get more funding. Um, yeah, there's it's, no it's way a, they can make a game like that. I believe kind of one of the interviews. So we didn't get a chance to interview any of the staff. Um, we were just very busy last week. Like we said, last week was kind of nuts. Um, but there are interviews at RPG Fan at Gamatsu, and they talk about a little bit about this, where they saw the Ayudin like success. Um, the, these two creators, I guess, just actually just literally just kind of bumped into each other. And from there, just sort of decided, hey, let's let's do this. But I have a feeling like the funding amount is more just sort of a like like a, an initial investment in terms of proving to someone else, hey, there are, there's an audience for this. And there, there's yeah. no way that can be the whole funding for the entire no way, game. No way. So. There, there, there's there's uh, some things about it that like kind of pro- uh, point to this as well, because uh, both I, I forgot, I don't at least for um, for Famitsu, they did get like a, a gameplay clips of like the prototypes of these games. So you see some gameplay footage already of like the prototypes of like Arm Fantasia and then like Penny Blood and like what I, I don't know if like the video itself is like a proof of concept or it's actual uh, playable prototype build. Uh, that that info isn't like uh, surfacing, but I think it's very important for them when the Kickstarter page goes live to be very transparent about like. Hey, we either we have like proof of concept videos or playable prototypes right now of these games, 
and we really and, and the purpose of this Kickstarter campaign is if we reach this goal, it it that will uh, let us uh, go through with a publisher agreement. Because what 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 certainly is happening is like the the publisher needs to see public interest, and then once they reach a certain threshold, which is the seven hundred fifty thousand, then that's where we'll, they'll be like, okay, now we're really going to give you like the real funding to see yeah. these projects, uh, you know, get through. And they have to be um, transparent about that. Uh, I don't know if that like obviously contract stuff might uh, not allow them to share the publisher that they're in talks with, but at least very much be transparent about like. We are in talks with a publisher because the, you cannot give people the impression that like seven hundred fifty thousand is like funding both of these games. That's just uh, I, should, I should mention. I don't. I looked up the. I know that the exchange rate now is different than it was a few years ago. Clearly, but um, Aiden is it raised it, in yen. It's like four hundred eighty-one million yen, which is something like three million dollars, something like that. I don't know what the exchange yeah. rate was. So the, yeah. in terms of the Ayudin Chronicle, that raised about three million, give or take. So um, yeah, ballpark for one right. game. Yeah. Uh, so, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I I'm fans of both these games. I'm I'm I I know some people are like Josh, uh, aren't very like eager to support a Kickstarter, and unless maybe they are very 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 upfront about what they uh, are using the funding for. I'll just you know so we throw the minimum amount to get a code. That if this if this is successful, they can throw it my way whenever they finish the game. Which I don't know, four years, five years, <laughs> whatever. So if it's successful. So yeah. Adam, let's let's yeah. focus on Arm Fantasia because uh, both of these were in- incorporated like concept art and screenshots for these games. When you look at the uh, provided screenshots for Arm Fantasia, is this kind of what in your mind's eye a modern Wild Arms might look like? Like when you see yeah, these, it's, it's the same character designer as Five. Which is the last like 3D Wild Arms, so it looks similar to Five with maybe a more modern or definitely more modern like cell shading sort of style. So I think visually it looks like Wild Arms more more so Five than the earlier ones, but considering the character designer that checks out. Now I'm um, gonna I'm gonna ask a very naive question here because I have not played Wild Arms, uh, so I'm not gonna read through the whole press release. We do have up on the site there is a very lengthy pre- press release that details both games, but in the press release for the Armed Fantasia. They say that you take on the role of a group of adventurers called Pathfinders. It is a turn-based combat system, though they mention that it is kind of like rapid-paced, and that they utilize powerful arms, Aether Reaction Maximizers, as their weaponry. Isn't ARM like what they use in Wild Arms as well, the same acronym? Yeah. Or- yep. I'm, I'm just, well, I, don't, I don't know if the acronym is exactly the same. I don't remember, but yeah, I, I, actually, I, I literally just opened the website. The website for this game was up earlier today, but it seems like it's down now. I wonder if it went up or like prematurely before the kickstarter uh anyways it had a couple of details that weren't in the press release but they they specifically mentioned they wanted to focus on like a big world map a classic styled world map um they wanted to focus on like exploration and puzzly dungeons which wild arms is known for uh especially the earlier wild arms games you got a lot of like it was almost zelda-ish in terms of getting a, a dungeon item that were has you don't do anything with it in battle or combat or anything like that it's literally just to help you move around dungeons and do puzzles and things like that yeah they call them uh um, gadgets yeah um let me pull up the press release here they they went into a little bit more detail on their website yeah i, I have it down yeah so but, yeah, uh, dungeon exploration yeah, focuses... puzzles crossing the land high speed vehicles which that all sounds like wild arms to me because Wild Arms, one of Wild Arms' biggest strengths is the, I think, the dungeons. 
like I said, kind of Zelda-ish. They put a lot of focus on it. Not like, not like dungeon crawler, like you know, like DRPG dungeons, but more like Zelda-ish, kind of top-down Zelda-ish dungeons. Yeah. There's more um, like puzzle elements to it where you're trying to like, oh yeah, this block needs to go over there, and I could use a bomb to explode this part. It's not like modern. It's not like modern dungeon uh, game design where it's just like uh, like a pretty narrow path of branching paths and dead ends, and then just mm-hmm. go back to the main path. It's more involved. Yeah, people gave so that right. The only thing is that uh, it, <laughs> I saw some people saying this on Twitter, like "Show me the hexes." There you go. Uh, which may not make any sense to someone <laughs> like Brian, but there are no hexes. Hey, doesn't seem like it. <laughs> so what? So what are hexes? Uh, okay, the one person to guess. I'm going to guess it's like a grid that the five system. Yeah, Wild Arms four and five, as well as uh, XF in a way, had uh, hexes that you moved around on a grid. So there's like a positioning element in battle. Based on the prototype they showed, it looks like more traditional turn-based. Um, more like one, two, like the three. first three. It, 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 I mean, the prototype obviously things can change a lot <laughs> when this game is actually like a real thing. But uh, it it seemed to have some sort of like break combo system in place where you can somehow like jump around turns and whatnot. So it's more than just you know my turn, your turn. But um, you know. Uh, there are no hexes. Is what I'm getting at. If you want, um, if you uh, want more uh, legally distinct Wild Arms flavor to it, uh, you'll see a little uh, subtitle: Arm Fantasia to the End of the Wilderness. Guess, guess what was the track title to the very first Wild Arms opening? The End of the Wilderness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the fact and that still the Wild Arms, arms also have the... uh, yeah. They, they also mentioned the world map and Wild Arms game also have like it's like a classic you know JRPG type of world map with a little bit of like. I don't want to say puzzles, but there's a bit of like actual like exploration on the world map in terms of like finding maybe um, like a location that is optional, but actually requires a little bit of navigation to get to on the world map around mountains or rivers or forests or what have you. You basically um, have to spam this uh, the square button. In some of them. <laughs> yeah, you basically have to spam them and you'll be like a little radar sonar effect will come in and you're trying to find the location. But sometimes if you forgot to talk to the right person, they don't and show up. it will not show up. Yeah, so it's very annoying. <laughs> and that's it's mostly like, Wild Arms three, I think. Five had it a little bit too, but I specifically remember it in three. Uh, I had it after two. It was implemented in two, then you know yeah, it was really annoying. Maybe you four, forgot to talk to one extra person and it won't show up. You know where to go, but the place is yeah, not showing yeah. up. Yeah, four did not actually have a world map. I think that was the only one that didn't. It was like just a menu map. But anyways, uh, let's talk about Penny Blood. Um, so this one, uh, I don't think the website was up for this one at all yet. I'm assuming they'll go up. Well, it's got like a splash page, but nothing else on it yet. Um, so this one is obviously, it looks like um, like a cel-shaded uh, Shadow Hearts uh, game. I'm not, the fir- I'm not the only person who thought, saw, or thought this, because I saw, I saw people on Twitter also thinking this. It's reminiscent of the JoJo anime openings, the older <laughs> yes. ones, uh, which is kind of like a, it's like a CG stylized Mm-hmm. cell shady type of art style, yes. um, which I think is actually apt, really, for the setting and the. They have a really good, tone. yeah. They have a really distinct look to this game already, so I. Yeah, I really it, it, it looks to me. What they um, uh, I don't think this one's had like a full trailer like the other one, but there's at least a clip that you can find where the main character's name is what Matthew. He's Matthew Farrell. Yeah, but not Roger some, Bacon guy. No. No, 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 Roger Bacon. But he's a private detective in New York in the 1920s. 
um, which I think Shadow Hearts was set in like the 1910s, like it was right around, yeah, around that time period. Yeah. Uh, so it's basically set in the same period or maybe just a little bit afterwards. Um, he's a private detective and he has accursed powers that allows him to fuse to hunt down monsters. Uh, so there's kind of like this occult element to it. But the, so the game very... scene shows him like punching, like literally just like going <laughs> on a zombie. <laughs> Yeah, like the the little gameplay tip that show like it shows the like the the concept and prototype of the battle system is like yeah he's just like using his fists and legs to like just like beat up on a demon and like right as he's about to like 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 punch them like a, a little thing shows up that kind of looks like the judgment ring from Shadow Hearts but it's more of a judgment lie. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never had the judgment ring, even though that timing on that thing is very difficult. It's- it is so funny when that when that little thing popped up in that clip. It's like, all right, I get you. I'm in. Um, yeah, this this is. Um, it, it, I assume like that fusion thing will be like Yuri's demonize uh, mechanic in Shadow Hearts as well, and you can just like turn into like a demon, which is a big thing in the Shadow Hearts games. Um, and I, the, the, that's the only like character that we know of besides like the uh, the lady in the the, the splash art. All we really know is of uh, Matthew Farrell, but it looks, you know, it look it is shaping out like the concept and like initial screenshots of these games and like the, the small bits of gameplay. Like they're both very solid concepts. Like they, they they are definitely like these are the types of games that fans want and the creators and the staff know what like you know what people want. I guess we don't we haven't really seen like proper successors to these games. I'd say like. There may have been may have been like several indie titles that like went for it a little bit, but not in this capacity. Should I play Shadow Hearts Covenant? Do I have to play the first one? I'd say you have to play the first one for sure. Yeah, you... Even though it's a prequel technically to one, it's technically uh... yeah. Like I, I don't think Covenant makes a lot of sense, but if you don't like kind of have the background for Shadow Hearts one, and I, th- I think I, I don't know. I don't think the the gameplay for Shadow Hearts one has aged all that well. But the atmosphere is still sort of unmatched. Like you still don't have that like favorite like horror gothic horror RPG that the first one had. Like, I don't know I, if it's a fair comparison to. I was thinking like Valkyrie Profile with with how the Shadow Hearts plot kind of went. I don't know. Nah, it's it's nowhere near to like both are very very different. Yeah, that's why yeah. I said I don't think it's fair. Yeah, I I replayed the first Shadow Hearts like not that long ago, several years ago, and I was like, man. I miss RPGs like this. <laughs> do you remember the accessory that you get if you could do like the combo system really good? I forgot the name of it, but I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, where it yeah. could just like auto does it for you or something. Yeah. So oh I mean, God. you know, b- best of luck, and you know, if you're planning to support them, um, just know that the Kickstarter, as of the time of this recording, is not live yet. Um, it should be up by, like I said, August 29th, my 9 a.m. PS Pacific. Um. And just, you know, take a look at the Kickstarter page, make sure what you're getting yourself into, because as, you know, as optimistic as I want to be for these games, like, I want a success story like a Yudin, there have definitely been, like, Kickstarters and a lot of, like, Unsung Story, for example, where's that? Um, And then there's also, like, some weird, uh, some of that early weird uh, Kickstarter era, like, with Concept doing Mighty Number 9, and then, like, as the Mighty Number 9 Kickstarter was going, Comcept did another separate Kickstarter Red Ash. That like they did it. Well. Yeah, they did that in the middle, and then Red Ash never like manifested whatsoever. So 
not to say that like these these aren't doomed projects. Like I want to be I want to be hopeful that they're gonna go just fine, but just you know, be wary and be aware of what you're getting yourself into. You're not you're not don't don't treat these as pre-orders for like a game, you know? Like it's just like just toss it in and hope something comes out of it and don't be too bummed if like if it doesn't. That's just kind of the best I can hope for. Don't don't think of these as like it's guaranteed. That like I'm gonna get the game of my dreams from it. Yeah, it's not not what you're expecting. It's yeah. like when you order I don't know, I have a terrible experience doing the Mighty Number no. Nine Kickstarter, but luckily I pulled out at the last day because Inafuni said something stupid and I was like, Okay, I am I'm coming out of this thing. Mm-hmm. And and the shit he pulled, it was like, damn, it was totally one eighty, man. Uh it's just like when you look at the project and you see the concept art. And then the product looks nothing like the concept art, and you're like, I thought you were going with like 2D. It's like, no, nah, that was just a concept art, guys. Yeah, well, like even like even all the gameplay clips we're talking about, all the screenshots they were showing, these are not reflective of the final product that you're gonna get. Like the characters like, uh, probably gonna look completely different. In the final product, like, you know, right? like, we don't we, like we don't know. Like nothing, nothing is nothing is set in stone here. Not nothing about these assets or any of these screenshots or these gameplay clips that set, that say these are the, in the final product. They are not represented of the final product. So just be aware. The last thing I'll note on this, at least uh, from my perspective, is that I thought that the very end of this press release was kind of interesting, but maybe like a bit silly. It's basically details on this double Kickstarter thing. They go into uh, several paragraphs about this combo meter, how basically like pledges for one game will contribute to a specific game stretch goal meter, but it will also contribute to the shared combo meter, which will fill up with support from both games. And then the combo meter will unlock content for both games. So basically, even if you support one, you incidentally support the other. And I'm just kind of like, I, I don't know. Exactly. Jesse, what the hell are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. I, I, I like I, I just hope that like momentum of like pledges from people who are, are like, you know, excited about it will like. I didn't even get to the good part yet. Yeah, or it's just like campaign followers will see five yeah. different social media goals that will basically relate to an attack or special move. There'll be monsters that will have require a certain number of hits before being mm-hmm. defeated, which will clear a stretch goal and upgrade the reward that have just like so they're like gamifying this like Kickstarter thing where it's like, I guess we'll see if it works. Um, I mean, we've I mean, already it's seen worked, it's like, worked, yeah, it's worked for a lot of past Kickstarter projects, like even though I know James still feels burned about the wonderful 101 one, that's what that's a, a Kickstarter that comes to mind when it's like when it comes to gamifying like the, yeah. the project like they did a lot of that shit for me it's i the, love we, I, I love how one of the uh goals for that kickstarter was oh if you participate in this we, uh kami i will block you or if you're already blocked one block so i can block you again so for me just, it wasn't wonderful 101 or mighty number nine it was unsung story it's like mm-hmm. when i backed and like oh yeah that released in early access on steam and has like 20 reviews at mixed like oh how f- how great yeah. so you know um like it's it, when re- initially reading this like i was like what if like one of the games meets their goal not the others i don't know weird like you know what if scenario that probably won't happen but this combo stuff i just i honestly i, I start i read like the first like four words and i'm like i'm done i don't care <laughs> <laughs> i don't like i don't care uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, obviously, once these uh, Kickstarters go live, uh, what other, if any other details or media companies that, which we can follow up on or getting, the fact that they've already shown so much, and they obviously very clearly have a ton of support from the original creators on board, I think there are reasons to be optimistic, but, you know, with, with Kickstarter, there's never a sure thing. So, you know, deferring to Josh's advice about this isn't a pre-order, this is, you know, this is all 
in the works and plans, and they don't even have a publisher yet. So just keep that in mind. I guess with that announcement out of the way, I will just transition to another announcement. Something that is kind of interesting because last week or is it last week or two weeks ago, we were talking about Disgaea creator Sohei Nikawa resigning from Nippon Ichi. Uh, we talked about how he had been there for over two decades. We didn't know like what the future of the Disgaea series was because Disgaea 6 tried a new art style, tried a new framework and didn't set the world on fire. But despite all that like fear mongering unintentionally, we did get an announcement of Disgaea 7 this week. So I don't know if this was expected. I don't know if this was planned to coincide with the uh, resignation of Nikawa, but we got a new trailer for Disga uh, Disgaea 7. It is, we even got a release date. It is releasing on January 26th in Japan for PlayStation 4 and 5 and Nintendo Switch. We got a new trailer for it, about two minutes. It does still use the same like art style of Disgaea 6. So like kind of like the 3D chibi cell shaded look. So, Basically, for Disgaea fans, it seems like the series is going to just continue on as normal. We've got Disgaea I mean, 7 on the, the way in not is, too long. This is important to note, but like people who didn't like Disgaea 6's transition 3D, um, Disgaea 7 will still carry on Disgaea 6's aesthetic of like, mm -hmm. it's not, it's still not sprites. It's still going to, it's going to be 3D moving forward. And that's just the reality. There's just a couple other things I want to note too, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's 3D going forward for sure. I think this 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 announcement seemed to catch some people by surprise, and I think one reason why is that uh, Disgaea Four was 2011, Disgaea Five was 2015, so four years. Well, Disgaea, that's, that's not quite fair because there was Disgaea D two between four and five. True, but but between between Disgaea Five and Disgaea Six was 2015 to 2021. <laughs> I think these are English dates, so like six years, and then just two years later, we're already on Disgaea 7. So basically, the distance between 6 and 7 is much shorter than 5 and 6. So yeah. it kind of felt sudden. Also, it is, also it, another it, it thing did, to like, catch me off guard, but the one thing I remember them saying as one of the reasons they switched to 3D was just to make it easier to develop them quicker so yeah. it makes sense that it would be like well we already have the engine 3d models obviously with the way the sky works a lot of those 3d models for like the common units are just going to be straight up reused so but also well, the other thing is uh interestingly like Disgaea 6 if you don't remember was sort of it was announced in a uh nintendo direct like a partner direct and basically simul it wasn't released simultaneously but it was announced simultaneously english and japanese um although there was a weird oddity that the English version was only was Switch only at the time, but it was announced at the same time. Here, no English announcement yet, none. Uh, Gamatsu uh, reached out to NAS America, basically saying, "Hey, do you have anything to announce?" And they basically said, "We don't, not yet." So, no, this is Japanese only announcement for now for Disgaea Seven. Yeah, obviously, I imagine they're going to have an English release down the road. Uh, that they'd be crazy not to. So, I mean, it, it, it'll come eventually. It's just we don't know yet if it's like going to be a weird Nintendo deal again, where we get. Oh yeah, switch. I was going to wonder about that. This guy six is weird, like Switch English exclusivity thing. Yeah, yeah, and that didn't work out well. It sucked. And I feel like. Almost everything about the Sky 6 localization was a bit, a bit of a trash fire because like newer versions of the Sky, well, not the Sky, of NIS's games on Switch using the same engine, like Boca and Meshi, apparently the performance and resolution is a lot better on Switch. But the Sky 6 was either you played it at a like higher resolution at 20 FPS or you played it at, like potato resolution at 30 or something like that. 
Yeah, uh, hopefully, I, I hope if they, then, but it, when, when it comes sorry. to us, hopefully it comes to like just PlayStation and PC simultaneously on first release. No, I think the thing that's even worse though is that we finally got this guy a six on like uh, PS4, PS5, and PC. Uh, the PS4 version is $70. Really? Holy shit. Yeah, the MSRP is $70 because it's supposed to be the complete edition. So it comes with all the DLC. And I don't think, like, let me check, like, um, the PlayStation Store because the physical copy, at least, there's no version that's, like, just the base price. Oh. I guess another important thing to note as well, because of the, the Nikawa retiring news, like, this is this is still like this. The development of this game is still very much involved. Like when when Famitsu published the, their uh, latest issue this past week, uh, focusing on this guy S seven. Like the interview was 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 with Nikawa, so he was you know obviously very involved with the development of this. So now it's kind of like moving moving the goalpost back. I got okay. Like, okay, now what's the future of the Sky series after this game? <laughs> like so, it's kind of a, a weird like how they decided to like light up those like uh those news bits of like hey i'm retiring by the way also here's the here's uh this guy i gave you that you didn't know of that uh is coming out and then I'm all right so i did double check and the way it works on the playstation store is that when you buy the ps5 version of the sky 6 complete you also get the ps4 version and vice versa there is no separate ps4 SKU, so it's just 70 dollars on ps4 regardless of where you buy it at least yeah. msrp that's oh man that sony 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 is really good at making people just pay more uh you know more on that later <laughs> wow well, yeah that's what they're gonna do to people but yeah i mean as far as like this guy is seven itself like for um new features they have this new feature where they're like there's like gigantic like big ass enemies like that are off the board like just almost like titans like looking over like the like the, the game tiles so, like, what are your characters? I don't know if it's like if you have more than one character, but at least one of your characters could like hop out of the game board and like and like turn into like a, gi- a giant as well, looking over the game board and maybe fighting like the the foe uh, who's gigantic as well, which is kind of crazy when you look at it. Um, another new feature they're showing is item reincarnation. So characters are not the only ones who get reincarnated. You can now level up an item, and when it reaches max, you can reincarnate it and have like a shitload of like new properties. They were touting like, here's like, if you like reincarnate a weapon, maybe you can eat it now after reincarnation. It's like, okay, cool. Um, and then one of the one of the new features that really caught my eye, which is kind of weird, is they have this online PvP system now, but it's not real time PvP. It's like you fight AI versions of like real person's teams, like what you would find like in Princess Connect, for example. Um, so and they have like a ranking leaderboard off of that, and then you can. You don't. I don't think you can directly um, play those like PvP uh, matches. They're automated through like the AI settings that you give your team versus the other players' AI settings. So it's kind of doubling down on that like AI tweaking system that was in Disgaea Six, where it's kind of like a, a more involved um, whatever that system was from FF12. I already forgot, but it's basically like, just like tweaking like very minuscule like AI uh, things gambit like if, system? yeah, a gambit system. So like you're just like like basically putting your your if then statements against the enemy players if then statements and seeing which one will come out on top uh, factoring in character levels equipment and all that stuff so it's just it looks crazy i i'm that, that's kind of the system that's like oddly the one that's like makes me uh 
interested in the most because it's like okay you're actually like kind of pushed to like um change up like your character synergy synergy and lineups to like properly like respond to like other enemy lineups that uh, other people give to their teams so that's kind of a that, that's kind of a neat um you know twist to it all but i i wonder if it'll like it'll rectify a lot of like the the this automated systems that people had with disguise six because a common complaint of disguise six for people understandably is like i could just like turn on the game and like turn on auto battle it'll just play itself and just have it grind endlessly for me and like i don't i don't even have to play the game it's like what's the point then which i it's, it's a complaint i've heard like more than a handful of times for six so i wonder if seven will you know kind of try to try to make fixes to that if I remember right, uh, Paige in her review for Disgaea 6 spoke expensively at, about auto battle, about mm-hmm. basically like the stages weren't complex enough. Like auto battle can be a nice quality of life for like grinding, but then when it can just be used to clear the whole game, it just felt like kind of meaningless. Like I'm not yep. engaged. As someone that didn't play Disgaea 6, uh, apparently a bunch of people on uh, Twitter said that some of the new info for Disgaea 7 sounds like it's deliberately making it so that you just can't auto battle the entire thing more like it's something you can build up to for like if you want to grind it's like you have to use some sort of currency to do auto battle or something which i think is a way of handling it or something yeah okay we'll pivot to a couple other titles that got some new gameplay details not in the forms of trailers but just in the forms of like newsletters or uh blog posts uh the first one here is tactics ogre reborn obviously this game had a long like preamble to when it was like leaked to finally when it was officially announced and when like what the new version of tactics ogre has compared to the psp or the prior versions of the game However, the new press release that we got from Square Enix for the upcoming Tactics Ogre Reborn seems to spend more time acting, uh, basically being delivering information for players that are new to the game about the tarot card system, about how just battles and victory conditions work, about how um, the units work and things like that, and not specifically about changes to the Reborn edition. So I don't know if Adam or Josh saw anything in this specific press release for this uh details about the upcoming tactics ogre reborn but it seems just more about uh, basically like a 101 for this strategy rpg about how the how everything works and things like that we already kind of talked about how the leveling system is now unit based instead of class based and things like that but this just kind of goes into like a high level detail about the the elements and how those work and how the um what's what's the name of like the clock that you can turn back and forth for selecting different paths uh what's the official name of that yeah, I forgot the official name of that. I know what you're talking about. Though. They just call it a branching narrative, but I know it has a game, uh, a name in within the game as well. Yeah, you mean the world tarot? Yeah, world tarot. Yeah. There we go. So, yeah. So, Adam, I don't know if we saw like uh, basically. I'm looking over this press release for the Tactics Ogre, but it's covering the game more just holistically in general, not specifically what's new about this version, which is still kind of nice. But for those who are looking to revisit the game, this is kind of information they're already aware of. Uh, well, the one thing um, the uh, press release mentioned this, but also. Uh, Yatsumi Matsuno posted a, he's the, like the creator of Ivalice basically, posted a, a little Twitter clip of this where um, I mentioned actually in a previous podcast when this was announced that I don't think the change to unit-based leveling really addressed the problem, the leveling problem, but they, he, they talk about a new mechanic that does, or I think at least uh, mitigates it quite a lot, and that's where if you have a unit that is 
far lower level than like your average, then the amount of EXP they get is like exponentially like boosted. So yeah, they catch up very fast. got serious on Twitter about this. He's like, all right, you motherfuckers. I'm going to bust out not only just a Japanese tweet, I'm going to bust out an English tweet yeah, for you English. assholes. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he showed out the power leveling system. And then, like, you just saw, like, level, like, he said, this is an extreme example, but let's say, like, a level one uh, person uh, going, uh, completing, like, a, a an average level 50 stage. And then he just got shot of, like, 23 levels after that um, stage, you know? And someone mentioned to me that the uh, Famitsu interview also talked about. Or maybe Matsuno mentioned this later. There's also like charms and whatnot you can equip that also raise EXP gain and things like that. Yeah, so yeah, they mentioned that. <laughs> so it seems like that's definitely uh, something they are aware of and try to address. Um, and that personally makes me feel a lot more, a lot better about the unit-based system. Same here. Um, like the thing I was kind of just concerned about is you're going through the game, your characters are like level forty, and then you recruit a new unit and they're level ten, and it's just like, oh boy. <laughs> but yeah, if you they announced. Yeah, when they announced like it's going back to units because the original Tactics Ogre had like units, it's like okay, that 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 system was like in some ways a little a little more tedious than let us cling together. So and that's Chow, how I was like <laughs> Chow said before that in yeah. the original versions that are not in English, that's how it was. Yeah. Um or I guess Well, it wasn't English, English on the PlayStation one if you count that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. um but anyways, yeah, so I'm I'm happy to hear that. Um otherwise I don't know if I, that was like, that's like my, that leveling thing. I mean, this is before is like the one thing about Tactics Ogre I do not like. If that can be, if that implementation of that new system is good, like this, this might be like, this is the best game. game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just maybe need some mods to adjust the pixel smoothing a bit. That's about it. Hopefully oh, that comes oh, out oh, pretty that, soon. Uh, look, that's what the PC version is for. <laughs> if yeah. anything else, you know, people are going to make sure. And I, I kind of uh, like uh, that. Kind of excites me too because like people are gonna like introduce mods. I sh- I'm sure people w- want that one vision mod. I, I assume I'm sure people want to implement that in- into at least the PC version of this game as well. So um, I, I know some that. people don't like in the world tarot when you like jump to a different path that the enemies do scale up to you, meaning you can't just blitz through like your second path because like nothing like a new game plus. I get where they're coming from, but personally, I think I'm fine with the level scaling. Usually, you outpace them anyway because of your equipment and skills. But I don't think they've mentioned anything about changing that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like, you beat the game, you're level 40. If you go back to chapter 1 and take the other path, all, all the enemies you're fighting are also going to be around level 40. So you can't just blitz right through it. Um, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with but it. They haven't yeah. said they haven't said anything. Um, about if they're going to be adjusting how that works at all, I don't think. Yeah, I, strangely enough, like the 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 whole new like stuff that they talk about Tactics Ogre this week uh, was like giving a lot of lore behind like the gods of the game, and like I don't remember them ever giving this much lore to like like the god like the elemental gods. I don't like, know much about them in the original as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you I was like, do, uh, like a tarot thing. It's like you want to be aligned with this god, but I don't know anything about them. <laughs> Yeah, I like that's a big thing that like people get hung up like the newcomers in the game when you're making your character. Like, uh, like one of the final things you do when you make your character is like the god, like they'll be asking you like questions, uh, and then like uh, depending on how you answer questions, that like determines your your stat allocation, which is basically do you want your main character to be more of like a frontliner or or a, or a mage type essentially. I don't remember. To be honest, I don't remember this. I mean, 
You do it once and then you play a 100 hour game. Yeah. Yeah. In the original game, you pick four choices for each god. It's like, uh, do you want the goddess of water to be assigned with honor, glory, freedom, or something like that? And you pick all the words and, and then you start to select which god you want to be aligned to. And it doesn't tell you what stat they're good for. So you're just picking shit at random. Yep. But yeah, but I mean the, the actual thing itself, like like I don't know if it's new. I I can't imagine it's new, but it's just like it's like they explain about like the lore of it, uh, behind each god like way more in detail than I've like I've ever heard of in this yeah. game. <laughs> I was like, now um, they, this this is actually not new information, but they revealed this when they announced it when they talked about the switch to Unibase leveling. If we're getting into the nitty gritty of the mechanics here, when you leveled up a unit, the stats they get will depend on the class they are. Yes. So, like, if you're a mage-type unit and you level up, I imagine your magic-based abilities will go up more than, like, your defense or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they actually specifically say that this way you can sort of, like, tailor your characters to how you want. Um, so for people who, like, get really, really deep into, like, the min-maxing, I can, I can already imagine it. Like, oh, take, take a character like Ravnus and level them up ten times as a Dragoon and then four times as an Archer and then six times as something else to get the right stat allocation. I could... I. <laughs> You probably don't need to do that, but I can definitely see people doing that if they oh, want yeah. to be optimal. <laughs> so, but yeah. The Tactics Ogre Reborn is another one of those um, November releases. Let me remind myself of the release date of that. It is November 11th of this year. The other uh, Square Enix game that we got some details from uh, in the form of a Japanese blog post that was then followed up by some English details was for September's release of Valkyrie Elysium. And this was basically detailing three main things. It was detailing uh, the weapon system, how you can have two different weapon types equipped at a time, about the divine arts, which are basically spells that you can find throughout the world, and then uh, some other details about characters and things like the soul chain, which is like a hookshot that you can use to traverse across the world. Uh, we also got some voice actors. I don't know if this if this information is new new, but we did get um, with the character with some of the new characters that were announced here some artwork as well as their English and Japanese uh, seiyus. I will say that at first, as someone that plays most games primarily in English, for these characters that were revealed here, which are Kristoff uh, and Taika, like I recognize the Japanese seiyus more than the English voice actors. Like I don't recognize these English voice actors' names, but I do recognize Maya Uchida and Sayori Hayami. I don't know what they played, but I recognize the names. So it'd be interesting to see if these uh, English voice actors are some fresh blood into the pool of, of VAs. I actually looked, at, I actually looked up uh, Safiya Ingar, who is the voice of Taika, one of the Einherjar. Uh, I guess she lives in London, but she is like Indian heritage. So got like an Indian accent, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, so, but, uh, um, so yeah, they revealed more Ein Harriar. I think we know of like three or, or four or five Ein Harriar based on the last update in this one. They also introduced a character who is not an Ein Harriar. It's hard to say. Uh, so that means he's not dead. His name is Armand, and they don't really say a whole lot about him, but he's looking for something, but he doesn't know what. Ooh, so I, I have a feeling this character is important because he's not dead. Because if they're a nine Harriar, they're just more of a mechanic almost, right? Uh, and they have like a tragic story and how they die. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's just like a feature of Nine Harriar. Yeah, yeah, a tragic story, but I'm just going to so, use hey, it. It's worth noting that they stress that there's going to be more of a focus on the nine Harriar in the story this time around. Yeah. Like we mentioned before, in Valkyrie Profile 1, they each have a vignette, and they're also they're very good. In Valkyrie Profile 2, they literally are just weapons you pick up in the ground. Um, <laughs> literally. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm sort of curious about this Armand character, because he's just like, if you're not dead, then why are you here? So Get on that. 
Yeah, yeah a, lot, a lot of screenshots showing all the different, uh, showing the weapon types, like a straight sword, a spear, a rapier, a double-edged sword, uh, sorry, spear, uh, about the different divine arts, which they say they're like spells that you literally can find like in chests or from scrolls. So, oh no, the scrolls are found in yeah. chests. So yeah, you literally just collect obviously, the, all, like, obviously a lot of the combat stuff is totally different. Excuse me. There, totally there, there was a game. there was a Twitter account that like scrapes back NPSN data, and they found a logo oh, yeah, for a uh, Valkyrie Elysium demo that they haven't announced yet. So, if it's anything like Dio Field and Live Alive, they'll they'll probably have there's probably gonna be a demo for this game that you could maybe transfer to the full game. It'll probably be a TGS thing or something. If the game runs well on PS5, I'll get it there. But if I if I think that I want to wait, I'll just wait for the PC version. I think. I think I'm reviewing this. I'm, I, don't, I don't remember. I have to ask you are set to review it. Uh oh. <laughs> oh no. Brush up on your Norse mythology. I know. Oh, yeah. Learn how to pronounce Ein Harriar. Practice that one. Uh, yeah. Ein Harriar. I can do it. There you go. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this game had obviously had kind of a really rough initial showing, but I feel like it's presented itself better every time it's reappeared. I don't know if that's Boiled Frog or if it's actually looked better. Uh, maybe oh, it helps no, that it definitely if... looked better. Like the visuals I remember for the first one were, was, was like really muddy with the textures and like just the level of detail. And then like every like piece of footage since then has looked significantly better and cleaner. And then, yeah, this is a late September release, pretty much a month away. September 29th. And then this this isn't really an announcement. This is more uh, reporting on a on some reporting from Bloomberg. Uh, we talked about how there were development issues and like an indefinite hiatus for the night. So the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic remake. Uh, so we talked about how it was given to Asper, who has been known for doing the ports of some of the older Star Wars games and that giving them the helm of a new remake seemed a bit strange. Well, based on this Bloomberg digging, it seems like that the Star Wars Nintendo Republic remake has shifted to Saber Interactive. Now, Saber is actually like, I remember Adam did some digging on this, like a surprisingly big publisher with like several employees and multiple studios. Uh, yeah. Did you like do some digging here and you kind of thought like you try to figure out like who specifically might have been taking the well, helm? The, way, the weird thing about Saber Interactive is that Saber Interactive is like an operating group within Embracer that has several studios underneath them not named Saber. Uh, for example, Zen Studios. Um, but they also have several studios under them that are just like Saber, I think Belgium is one, or Belarus, Saber Belarus, I mean, um, which might be the studio they went to. Um, Bloomberg's reporting just says an Eastern European studio, and you can maybe you know, narrow it down from there. But um, I think Saber Interactive has a few thousand people and, you know, that's across all of their studios. Um, so they are actually the parent company of Aspire, who was the original developer of this remake. So it seems like they kind of just almost just like took the toys away. Like, okay, we'll, we'll take it from here. Um, and then they they gave it to someone else, one of their own studios, another one of their studios to develop it. Um, the report also mentions that from, from an anonymous source that basically the game has been in development for about two years and it's still at least two years away. So yeah, I remember when I did the original news post, like reading the Bloomberg reporting that they were under the impression that the game would be ready in three years for a ground, like ground up remake with a studio that has never done like a project of the scale. And I feel bad for like uh, I feel bad for the original developers that were working on it because it sounds like they had like a study idea of like 
what reasonably it would take. Like they said, oh, it'd probably be five years. They were confident in what they had to show. And it sounds like almost that maybe it wasn't so much them. It was like expectations levied on them by people that just did not understand the situation they were putting them in. Yep. I do like that they they state that it seems they don't expect that this will have any effect on like the scheduling for the game. And if I remember right, Jason Schreier, who was obviously an editor at Bloomberg, basically said, like, I have a bridge to sell you if you think that just transitioning development studios isn't going to incur some delays. But I guess you could argue, like, what is a delay if it doesn't have a release window? Just, you know, it's kind of ends up being like your shift of perspective or how you define whether something delayed is or not. Basically, as soon as this game was announced, it's like, all right, we'll see it in four, five, six years. I'm not like expecting it to be uh, anywhere close to ready or even shown for a while now. And this is just going to push that out even further. I feel like you don't even announce this, right? Like, I, I feel like you just you just let this go behind the scenes and then like you should have announced it like when there's something tangible ready. I don't know why you would go ahead and like announce this like so far out. Like we have started development on this. It's like, okay, great. It was you know? probably Sony because they wanted that announcement. They said, oh, it's a PS5 console exclusive. Maybe. All right. So I think that kind of covers us for a lot of major announcements and details of his existing games. Now, there are still several more because Gamescom was a lot. It was a lot. Uh, but as we go f- forward from yeah. here, we might just spend a little bit more time on each individual item and just kind of go through each in turn. Before we do that, though, we something that we did kind of hint at with or teased at or whatever uh, is talking about Sony, I guess. Uh, they kind of announced something that doesn't affect U.S. consumers, but it's a bit strange and a bit unprecedented. And that is, is that they have announced officially that they are increasing the price of the PS5 console in several markets, including Japan and Canada, not including the U.S., due to the global economic environment, including high inflation rates. So uh, they, in their blog post, just detailed what the new msrp is for both the disc and digital versions of the ps5 in europe uk japan china australia and others um one of the more interesting outcomes of this announcement which in 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 and of itself is very strange and unprecedented before we get into this it is worth noting that these price increases are not trivial by the way like like europe for example it is up from like an additional 150 euros so it goes so like the ps5 digital edition in europe is now it goes from three ninety nine ninety nine euros to four forty forty nine ninety nine euros. Not uh, to mention in Japan, which I can understand how big of a gap it is in Japan. As someone that's been like keeping an eye on the yen to USD exchange rate over the last couple of months, the yen's just taken a beating. Like it's been yeah. taking a beating for a while. So it's like it sucks. Uh, arguably, you could say that 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 uh, a Sony did not need to do this considering they have record record profits and all that but it's like it's such a bad look like even even after like the news came out like microsoft and nintendo immediately immediately were like no we're not doing that <laughs> so sony's like okay so like 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 for example the ps5 of the blue wrist uh blu-ray disc drive uh the, the original price is 49,980 yen now it's going up to 40 54,980 yen so it's getting about 5,000 yeah, an increase off of that over Canada. Sorry, Chow. I think you already have a PS5, Chow. You're good. I, I, I don't have one. They, they're never on sale. You can never uh, find them. And now I could find them. That's probably a hundred bucks more. Okay, okay. So which edition of PS5 did you want to get, Chow? The one with or without, without the disk drive? Of course with a disk drive. What, are you okay. insane? I know. Well, I, so I have a digital the, one. 
So oh. it's going it's it's going up just uh twenty CAD for you. It's it's six hundred twenty nine CAD originally, and now it's going up to six hundred forty nine. I, I think how it went was that they already adjusted from the inflation before, so they didn't have to adjust too much from it. From I think that's how it goes. Yeah, I, so. I, I can't confirm completely because I remember they they jack up the price before due to the our currency not being worth all that much. So yeah, so I I, th- I think the biggest increase is, is for euros because like everything else doesn't have that uh, as big of an increase from what I'm seeing oh, here. No, I mean like if you look at the uh, the uh, disc version for the Japanese uh, uh, model, it's like like ten thousand yen. That's. Five thousand, five thousand yen for the disc. Yeah. Are so, you yeah, because sure? yes. that's not the price increase I saw. The the I'm seeing from uh, I'm seeing it from an IGN story when they're comparing prices for Japanese for Japan the PS5 with the, the Ultra HD Blu-ray disc drive. It's forty nine thousand nine hundred eighty yen originally, and the new price is fifty four thousand nine hundred eighty yen. That's from their story. So you can go research that if you want, but that's that, that's either way. It's a bad PR move. I mean, yeah. considered how it goes, I feel like this is a time for Microsoft to turn things around the table. This is a good opportunity for them. Microsoft yeah, in general just had like a really quiet like, year. It's really interesting because um, Xbox has had multiple weeks where they've sold over ten thousand units in Japan, and I think last week they had around ten thousand sold. So I wonder if uh, Microsoft might not just try shipping more Xboxes to Japan in the coming weeks to see if they can maybe ride the wave a bit with the price increase. Okay, this is weird. Now I'm seeing where you're where you're coming from, James. So I I guess the IGN story must have. Oh, this is including tax. So you see in the J- Japan one for um for the PlayStation blog, it does say sixty sixty thousand four hundred seventy eight yen for for Japan. But that's including tax, and I guess for some reason the IGN one either has a typo or did it include tax for their amount? Interesting. Okay, so I don't know. Must have been a typo. Yeah. So accompanying this uh, announcement straight from Sony about increasing the MSRP of the console in several markets, Games Radar put together a, an article that I think is a bit strange, but maybe there's something here to, worth talking about. And then uh, that is obviously related to the impending release of Final Fantasy 16, which is currently only listed as a PlayStation 5 exclusive, not a PlayStation 5 console exclusive. The only confirmed platform of any type is PlayStation 5. Now, Games Radar created a, uh, released an article called Japanese Players Are Begging Final Fantasy 16 on Steam After the PS5 Price Hike. However, they really don't point to a whole lot. They just talk about how FF16 is trending on Japan, and then it links to a few people, a few tweets yeah, about I, people wishing that it was on Steam. Well, they, it wasn't even that, because I looked at those tweets, and it wasn't so much them like begging for it on uh, PC. It was more like them speculating, hmm, I wonder when it's going to come. And like, like the first tweet I think they linked, it was just like, so it's probably going to be a PS5 console exclusive for six months, and then it'll be an e gs exclusive for a year after that i mean we've kind of seen that precedent with with remake and so maybe like this games radar article in itself isn't you know that interesting but it is kind of interesting just to compare like the state of final fantasy 16's releasing in versus like final fantasy 15 and this is something that our the site boss alex donaldson's pretty passionate about he actually is predicting that final fantasy 16 just won't do well due to the fact that it's 
kind of locked as this console exclusive for a while. And we kind of saw that with the limited growth in the sales numbers of Final Fantasy VII Remake, where now that it's a console exclusive, and on top of that, we're having this, there's, you know, the console is still not easy to find and will be more, you know, prohibitively, maybe not prohibitively expensive, but the hurdle is higher now. It's just, that kind of depend. it just kind of brings some questions on like, I wonder like what Square Enix is getting out of these console exclusivity deals, we already saw them like double or triple dip with remake. And it seems like that must've been successful for them because it all signs seem to be pointing to the fact that they're going to try at least a similar tactic again with final fantasy 16. And a few people are kind of, I guess, calling that out ahead of time, wishing like, well, it's probably coming to PC, but when and how and where we can look at, we can look at seven remake as kind of precedent. Will they follow that tact exactly? We don't know. So just kind of it's just a speculation. speculation. Yeah, I don't even yeah. think the seven remix is that successful, in my opinion. They could have hit way higher sales numbers than that, but you know, I just think that uh, this exclusive is a terrible deal, a terrible idea. Well, seven yeah, remake also I had think... some extenuating circumstances of being like multiple parts and things like that. Go ahead, James. Definitely seems like uh, at least with the exclusivity deals that uh, no has been taking with uh final fantasy it just even if like i don't understand the thought process because from the outside looking in it just sounds like to me and i've definitely seen some other people like say this it seems like oh so you don't have enough confidence in the game to sell so you need to take a deal to make sure that you recoup costs at a bare regardless yeah yeah and it's like and if Final Fantasy is like your biggest brand. Why would you take deals that very specifically limit the scope of how well that brand can grow? It's like, especially after like Elden Ring and seeing how big that's grown as a totally new IP. Can you imagine if Elden Ring was like had an exclusivity deal with uh, yeah. someone? You know? like Elden Ring's like has a, it, it's not guaranteed, but there's like a legitimate shot that it will outsell this year's Call of Duty when push comes to shove. And that's insane. And like Final Fantasy, like 16 is never going to get anywhere close to that just because of the limits of how it's being released. Like the main, the main point of comparison will be like like, comparing 16 and 15 as very different release philosophies where six where 15 came on PC later, but it was, you know, multi-platform from the start. So I don't know. Yeah. It's very, very strange. And I, I, you, you got to feel for like, uh, I was browsing Japanese Twitter off of like the like the this news story from Games Radar, and I like, see like some of the comments, and like one of the comments is like, "I guess I'm not buying my kid a Switch because I need to save to save up for a PS5." It's like that sucks. <laughs> that sucks. You know? I just wonder how Yoshi P could answer these questions in a good way. <laughs> They're like, "It's like, hey, what do you think of releasing your game on a on a console that just?" And Yoshi P's like, it's not, right? "Yeah, Yoshi P's like, it's not my decision to make." You know? Yeah, and like, there's been all that speculation. I'm not sure if they made official comments on whether they were originally deciding whether or not it was going to be on PS4, but it seems like that was originally like a consideration, and now it's like, I wonder if they're regretting deciding to make it a true PS5 next gen exclusive. Oh, I mean, there's still time to announce a PC version, I guess. So quite a while. So I, I hope to see it not just on PS5 for the sake of this game, man. It's it's a shame. It's a shame. I I, I think uh, like I kind of like sort of having flashbacks to like Fantasia and uh, the gated behind Apple Arcade. It's like so many people will never fucking play that game because 
I, uh, I keep, Arcade. Yeah, and even if they do have Apple like uh, products, I've met a bunch of people where it's like I tell them, look, Fantasian's so good. You have an iPhone, you should play it. It's like, oh, I don't want to play it on a phone. Or yeah. even if they're willing to play games on their phone, it's like, oh, can I buy it? And it's like, no, you have to pay for a subscription. Yeah, and that doesn't feel good. So I get it. I get it. But yeah, sorry, sorry for the confusion earlier between the the Japanese prices, the the, the, yeah, the reporting IGN. Yeah, so. yeah, okay. yeah and that, that, that actually happened yeah. in another context earlier uh, this week about the Wild Arms uh, follow up with Armed Fantasia. Uh, <laughs> sometimes we can only report on the information that's given to us or that we can yeah. source from other people that are usually reputable, like IGN. Uh, we n- the press release named the composer uh, from Wild Arms as Noriyasu Umatsu instead of Noriyasu Agamatsu and like was like oh we were just going by what was on the press release like and I was unfamiliar with Agamatsu like I love Wild Arms 5 and 6 or XF's uh soundtracks I was just like well they're spelling it differently so I'm going to defer to them (laughs) yeah like we don't normally go into the habit of all right let me check if your press release is correct (laughs) yeah Yeah, so you can only go on the information we've got available and we'll correct if we find out that there was an error but so after and bottom, what bottom, bottom line, they were, they were, uh, Naruke and the, both those composers I'm very fond of. So even if the game is garbage, which hopefully is not, at least the music will be good. So we're going to go now into some of the game announcements and trailers that came out of Gamescom stuff, mostly out of Gamescom opening night live, Keeley's stream, but some from some some other publisher streams as well. I'll bin, I'll bend these two together. These are two open open world action RPGs. Well, actually, I guess we don't know if one of them is action RPGs. They're both two open world RPGs that were announced during opening night live. The first one is Where Winds Meet. This is a new action RPG that takes place during the Ten Kingdoms era of Chinese history from developer Everstone Studio. This uh, trailer actually shows a fair amount of gameplay, which is actually pretty neat for an introductory trailer for a game. And the other announced open world RPG from Opening Night Live was for a game called Word Song. Now, unlike Where Winds Meet, Word Song is pretty much just a cinematic tr- teaser trailer that doesn't give us much in the way of specific details. So both the, Word these... song, the Word Song announcement was m- almost not even trying to hide it. It was more of a recruitment trailer. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah, we so... want to make this game. You want to join us? Yeah, so... so the Word Song announcement, the one tied to that announcement was that it's a new independent developer called Something Wicked Games. So self-publishing as of this moment. Uh but yeah, I don't know if we had any feedback about these two new. Uh, these both these games seem like they're pretty far out. No, obviously release window at all. Just two things to or, kind of put on the list to look forward to. Yeah, the Werewinds Meet uh, uh, game looks really really cool. Like it's another like uh, another uh, focus on Chinese martial arts. Uh, this is like an open world action art, action adventure RPG. Um, and I tried looking into this a little bit more, but the developer behind Werewinds Meet. Uh, what's the studio's name? Uh, it's it um, Everstone Studio. Yeah, and they're they say they're in partnership with NetEase, and like I'm not sure if this is like an actual like NetEase studio, um, or just some other arrangement that they have. But it's interesting because we've talked about this before with NetEase moving more into like console games more than mobile, and is this one of those? You know, this is a mm-hmm. game that they have a studio making right now. It's only announced for PC. It's not announced for any consoles, but yeah. that's still pretty different from NetEase's usual you know mobile offerings so i wonder when we're gonna see that negoshi project yeah <laughs> yeah I don't know. but yeah this is you know, a very vusha expired uh 
you know, I, I love seeing that like there's a lot more uh, games developing now that uh, adopting that Wuxia style or uh, Wuxia inspiration. Uh, so it's not just um, um, Sword and Fairy. Uh, so that, I mean, this is you know, I hope this really does well. This uh, definitely is a catches the eye. I'm not too I'm not too familiar with the the Ten Kingdoms uh, era in Chinese Chinese history. Are you Chow? Um, it's the Tang era, which is. I think a lot of people only talks about the early days and not really the later days. And this is supposed to be the later days, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because the early days is more like about the the was it the Lee family, which are where the the prince start killing each other, trying to take over the throne. Then after mm. that, he is the greatest king ever lived. Apparently, so. all I remember is like is like things just like kind of tumbled like during that era. Like it was like kind of. That like dynasties were like very short lived because of like succession. Yes, they're really short lived. But this is actually one of the longer lasting dynasties. So. Okay, it's actually like known to be like the golden era at one point. Interesting. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it's at the end of the dynasty. I don't know how it falls, but you know, it's always the same shit: a rebellion because because of shitty treatment from from the government, and boom, rebellion, and we're gone. Yeah, they they mentioned in the press release for this game is that it's set during the beginning of the northern northern Song Dynasty, mm. so just kind of giving a time period there. But yeah, I, I I don't think we know much more than that, especially like just how it plays and everything. So you know, just want to keep an eye on. Well, see where it goes, and then for the other one uh, that I wrote up for, this is a really funny just like anecdote for a word song is like the. The YouTube for the Game Awards misspelled this uh, the game's name as Wyro Song because the logo for the game you can't tell if it's a D or an O <laughs> when you see the logo. It's like it could go either way, honestly. They, mis- they misspelled it in two different spots, so it's almost like I guess that's how it is. It was like in the trailer title and in the description. Like I guess it's called Wyro Song. Like no, <laughs> Wyro Song. Yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, fucking. And like I saw a Japanese news outlet like also called it Wyro Song. So I was like, is it Wyro Song? And then, and it's like, oh, we got press release. It's actually Bird Song. I'm like, oh, okay, great. So this uh, project, uh, as we mentioned, from something Wicked Games, like the vet, like there are like big RPG veterans helping it. Like it was, uh, it's founded by James Gardner, who uh, is known for as the lead producer producer for the both expansions of uh, Oblivion's uh, uh, Knights of the Nine and then Shivering Isles expansions. Also did work on Skyrim as well, and then. Uh, he was senior producer there. And then you also have Charles Staples on it, uh, who previously worked on Alpha Protocol as a designer, uh, level design yeah. lead on the South Park The Stick of Truth, and then most recently design director for the Outer Worlds. And then you'll you'll see a lot of you know the kind of the staff behind uh who's working at something making games on their site. But as for actual gameplay, nothing is like this is very much just the early days of development. This studio was barely founded this year, earlier this year. And so this game will be quite a while out. Uh, it's always kind of cool yeah. to see independent developers, though, in an era where this, we seem like we have just mega corpse just absorbing acquisitions being like the topic du jour. So kind of say like, yeah, we're we're going a different route. We're going to make our own game under our own terms, which is kind of fun and neat to see. It means it probably will be a long ways out before we see more details from this, but kind of cool that they have a pitch. They got a stage yeah. to present it on, and I'm guessing there are aspiring developers that would love to work on it. Speaking, speaking of Netties, like Netties has is the like you know uh, involved with something wicked games again because they got initial seed funding from Netties of 13.2 mm, whatever mm, 
is. I'm not familiar with that currency, but that's you know. And then Nineties is also investing in this company's future in some capacity. The other two new titles that were announced uh, during Gamescom this last week are kind of tangentially linked. One of which is kind of a rebranding of a game that was announced a while ago, and one of which is a new uh, a new announcement. So, in order, I will just say that Lords of the Fallen Two was announced several years ago back in like 2018 as a follow-up to like 2014's Lord of the Fallen, which was developed by Deck 13. Lords of the Fallen 2, however, was uh, had a lot of troubled development about changing developers. Uh, it kind of went AWOL for several years. It then, however, has resurfaced as now just called The Lords of the Fallen. <laughs> so I, I hate that just naming <laughs> scheme in general where you have a sequel and you just put The in front. Well, I guess it's The Lords now. I don't know. So the Lords of the Fallen has it's basically kind of like a rebrand revitalization of Lords of the Fallen 2. And we got a new announcement trailer for this game and it's set to be announced next year as uh, to be announced for 2023. And the other title that is kind of like tangentially linked to this is what Deck 13's new actual title is with, with a similarly named action RPG called Atlas Fallen, which also had a world premiere trailer at uh gamescom opening night live so these two the games was falling is it that no, no. <laughs> I, I almost believed you all right so yeah so so as of so i hope i get this right adam you're good at the details so let me know if you get if i get this wrong um these games have different developers and different publishers atlas fallen is being developed by deck 13 and published by focus entertainment which is formerly focus home interactive the lords of the fallen is being developed by ci games and hexworks uh, but is based on a sequel, is a sequel or a follow-up to a game that was based, that was developed by Deck 13. So yeah. these two games basically are linked. Hexworks is a CI game studio, so it's kind of like publishing their own game. All right, so basically mm-hmm. Deck 13 made the original Lords of the Fallen, now they're making Atlas Fallen, and Lords of the Fallen is being followed up by Hexworks. And both these games got announcement trailers uh, at um, at Gamescom. So Do we know if like if CI games or Hexworks, like if they've worked on like a project before, like if Hexworks is new. Okay. I know CI Games is like really known for like the Sniper Elite series, which is sort of oh, like okay. Uh oh. and they, they, they've done a couple of other like publishing deals. Like there was this uh Eldest Souls like pixel art indie okay, game that they yeah. did. But this specific studio making this game, they literally like made the studio for this game. Or they they formed the studio. Did they mention like like any like veterans of the original game like on that studio or anything like that? I have to pull up the years old announcement to see. I don't remember. (laughs) Um, I believe they're based in Spain. Okay, yeah, I've seen I've seen the press releases. Hexworks is led by executive producer Saul Gascon, who's worked on Dead by Daylight and Payday Two, and creative director Cesar Vertosu. Sorry for the if I mispronounced any of the names here. Who worked on Shadow of the Tomb Raider and Assassin's Creed Origins, and they were founded in 2020 with uh, 70 over 75 internal developers. Oh, I guess they have studios in both uh, Spain as well as uh, Romania, Bucharest. Yeah, I'm in Romania. So, yeah, it is it is funny seeing the key features for the Lords of the Fallen because they 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 say this will be over five times larger than the original game, and they'll have uninterrupted online co-op. This is this is just a small minor thing, but I, this this is amusing to me. So like I think like a year and a half ago, 
they basically confirmed that they were working on this game, and they're like, here's the logo for Lords of the Fallen 2. Like, the teaser. And then, you know, 18 months later, it's like, actually, we're not calling it that, and also the logo font's totally different now. <laughs> so I that do logo like that. Is <laughs> I watched this trailer, but I didn't, like, parse it in my brain. This is, like, three minutes of CG, which yeah. is which is uh, which is fine. It's just that normally for a CG trailer, it's not quite that long, unless you're a Final Fantasy expansion, I guess. Uh, but also, I, like that, probably the least fitting music for like a trailer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The fucking uh, the OST for it is uh, our BGM for that trailer is really something. Because at the very bottom of the press release, they say, uh, look forward to a full gameplay reveal of Lords of the Fallen later this year. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess this trailer really doesn't show any gameplay, which is I'm the sort of person where if it's if this is a re-reveal of a game, I think it's CG is OK. It's just almost more than I expected. Like, oh, if it's three minutes long, it's probably got some gameplay in it. Nope. But I don't know. It's got it's got kind of your typical, very like if you imagine what a Dark Souls like game would look like with a dark fantasy motif, you can imagine it in your brain. I mean, it's th- flashy, think, about it, think about it, right? When you're when you're thinking about the the very first Lords of the Fallen, that was one of the earliest Souls like games. Mm. That was like the bit that that was the marketing thing for that game. It's like it looks like Dark Souls. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, they're I played game. it, and my friend bought it for me. Uh, I was like playing it, it's like, hey, this is this is a Dark Souls knockoff. And and, and and no one really thought at the time that like Souls knockoffs were going to be like a new genre in itself, right? It was like for the original Lords of the Fall, it's like it felt like a one-off thing. It's like, oh, okay, people are gonna like take a jab at it, but no one could have expected that like it would like just turn into like a just a new style of game emerging. And I'm totally okay with that. Like, it's just a heuristic to help bundle. Like, some people I'm sure cringe or wince when they hear Souls like or even Metroidvania or things like that. But I think it's just a useful tool. To be like, if I can describe this game in like a couple words to at least give you like a grounding point to say like this is what this game is like and then at that point you can start listing exceptions or how it varies or how it's different rather than just saying like third person action game uh you know with meaningful combat and like uh non-linear exploration like like souls yeah like souls souls like there you go so the the other game here is the game that deck 13 is working on atlas fallen this one has a more sci-fi punk aesthetic to it so it looks kind of like fantasy but there is just it seems like a little bit more modern tech in terms of like uh robots and uh some of the equipment and things used like that also a cg trailer uh also about three minutes long so i guess these things are more similar than i thought Uh, but i think that this one just has a more interesting more unique aesthetic to it um uh, also kind of just slated for 2023 <laughs> not to take a jab at the game, but it reminds me of like a Western Monster Hunter, and like, and then I remind of like a Monster Hunter movie. That when I kind of watch parts, <laughs> it does kind of look like Monster Hunter movie. It has like the same like it takes place in a desert environment. The trailer and it's got like the similar like color grading to it. But I still and, like, think it looks neat. weapons. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah it's got like giant axes and like a giant two-handed blade. And, and we know that like, you know, the deck 13 has like has a pretty competent like track record for like past works, right? Like Yeah, so I played both of the Surge games and they're both good games. I didn't think either were great, but they're like they're competent, complete, full, well-made games. Mm-hmm. So um they have more of a pedigree behind them than Hexworks does, you know, just yeah. by fact. Um so I'm interested to see what they can pull off here. Wait, did Deck 13 do the Surge games too? Yeah, so they did Lord of the Fallen, 
this is kind of funny. They did Lords of the Fallen. Then they kind of branched off to do The Surge and The Surge 2. And now they're making Atlas Fallen. Um, while as CI Games has taken that, that same amount of time to try to get someone to make a Lords of the Fallen 2. <laughs> After Dexter Please, team anyway. left, they've made two we'll, other games in the meantime. So, yeah. We'll just make our own studio. Mm-hmm. But no, I think Atlas Fallen, uh, I think between the two, I think it just has a more unique aesthetic to it, where the other one is very clearly Souls derivative. And I don't say that with a ton of negative connotation. It's just very clear what its inspiration is. Where Atlas Fallen at least takes the framework and does something s- at least seemingly different with it. Oh, and by the way, uh, Atlas Fallen is announced for next-gen consoles and PC uh, for next year. Um, again, we don't have any direct gameplay trailers for it, but unlike... Uh, the Lords of the Fallen that'll explicitly say when we will expect to see it next, but I'm sure uh, if it's slated to release next year, it won't be too long. Uh, between all the four games that we've covered that have come out of the Gamescom announcements, Atlas Fallen is the one that I think I'm the most interested in. I think it just has the most unique. I, look to I, it. I agree, you know, largely just because I played other games in this year or from the developer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see, like, you know, um, like once you get like HUD elements and just like what the players do in Atlas Fallen, I think is the most interesting out of those. I do want to see more of where Vince meet those. So they're kind of both very close to each other on like interest level because the other two are just, well, Birdsong is just so far off that like it's like, like we said, it's more of a recruitment campaign than like a game so far. And Lords of the Vaunted is just like, I. I feel like I know I already, but I, I feel like I already know what the game's gonna be, right? It's like it's mm-hmm. gonna be uh, a Souls like, right? And Lords of the mm-hmm. Fallen was like, you know, it was its own thing, but it's still very much a Souls like, and I don't know if I'm like that interested. It's but, a uh, Souls like with the same theming and environment and similar art as Souls, yeah. where it's like, what does it provide that's different? We don't, it's not clear yet based on the initial CG trailer. Souls like I'm interested in is like involves Pinocchio out of all things. So <laughs> more on that later. So we got some game trailers from uh, Gamescom Opening Night Live and other uh, publishers uh, for existing games. And sure, we'll do that one next. We got a new trailer for the upcoming Another Souls-like, uh, Lies of P. So this is like the steampunky Souls-like that is an interpretation of the story of Pinocchio. And actually, right before this uh, podcast, I was watching this gameplay reveal. We got a, we got some gameplay like from some alpha teaser like late last year uh, around when this game... I guess it was announced in the middle of last year. And then we got a little bit of teaser late uh, in November 2021. So this is our first time seeing the game since then. Uh, a decent amount of gameplay shown here. Here from Gamescom, uh, and I was saying, if someone didn't tell me that this was inspired by the story of Pinocchio, it doesn't really wear it on its face. You can kind of see it, like with some of the weapons shown. Like unlike some of the other gameplay trailers shown, this one actually does show UI elements, which I do appreciate. And there's like, I, th- I think I saw like the, he had a weapon equipped that was, or at least like an item that was called like puppet strings. You can see a lot of like mechanical like limbs on both the character and the enemies. So it has some of that sort of like marionette, steampunky. Victorian era vibes, but it still doesn't like explicitly scream Pinocchio to me. But I guess that's kind of the point, potentially. Yeah, like uh, there, there are several outlets too that like uh, recorded like demo gameplay from Gamescom, like uh, of like just what they're what you do in the Gamescom demo, and like it very much looks like if you if you told me this is like you said like if this was Pinocchio, I'd be like it's it's a Bloodborne like you know it's very much the it's the primary inspiration through and through with this game is Bloodborne. It does it's not afraid to hide it, and that's okay. You know it looks. It looks pretty fun. It has like it's, it's a, it's Bloodborne esque with its own so, sort of its own ideas, and I'm interested to kind of see and learn and play more. You know, I wanna, so it's a Bloodborne like, yeah, pretty much, and I'm okay with that. 
It's funny because I wasn't super interested in this game until like they showed the trailer during opening nights, like opening night live. And it's like, huh, like this feels a bit mean, but a lot of souls likes that aren't just like from Team Ninja were like from software. You look at them and it's like you can kind of tell that they're going to be a bit of a janky experience. Then I look at the trailer for Liza P and it's like either it's really good editing or like some of those like animations look really nice and like it looks polished. It's like. You know what? Sure, I'm I'm down to give this a sh- uh, shot. And maybe it's worth mentioning that Liza P is being developed by uh, um, Round Eight Studio. Well, what's the publisher's name? Neo is Neo is. So they're Korean. It's like a Korean developed uh, Souls like based yeah. on Pinocchio. Um, their it previous was... game was Bless Bless Unleashed, which did not like review very well. So I remember when this was first announced. I actually kind of poked fun at it. Like, oh, it's from the developers who brought you Bless Unleashed, that, you know, uh, mega hit game. But from what they've shown, it looks at least interesting. So. Yeah, it's like, a, like when, when you reminded me of that, just I was like, oh, fuck, it's Blood the Bless Unleashed devs, but hopefully it comes together, you know? I heard, like, these things about that game until, until later on they found something wrong with, like, their monetization or something. Well, well, at least it's not MMO, right? So, I mean, bless, there's bless the the MMO, and then there's bless unleashed, which was like not really an MMO. It, oh. it was online. But it, was, it was very. Okay, weird. I was thinking about the. It MMO. was not marketed well. It was not clear. Yeah, bless online, which also didn't set the world on fire. That one actually got removed from Steam. <laughs> yeah, so, it tells you a lot. <laughs> anyways, another takeaway I had from this trailer: a lot of people seem to think that Pinocchio is cute and attractive. He's good looking. Yeah, maybe you never know if Pinocchio decides to talk to this game, we might, we might see the nose get lost. Mm-hmm. Not yet, though. A couple other trailers that were shown during Gamescom. This one, I don't want to be like disparaging or like set the stage by. And I'll just say it: System Shock remake, which has been in development for seemingly forever. My first. I didn't know that this was going to be shown at Gamescom, but I just remember seeing in the chat, like, oh, look, more another trailer for System Shock. Still no release window, which feels yep. kind of like rude or mean, but it's kind of where that game is now. Like, There's you can been a demo on Steam for System Shock remake for like almost two years year. at this point. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's we, just we, got we, a trailer. It just got a trailer at like the E3 time period. Obviously, not actually E3, but like a few months ago too. Um, so it's just kind of like mm, okay. Like you don't really need to see more of this game. Like people like know what this game looks like, and people and you've had a playable demo out for the longest time. People, the only thing left for this game that you know that you can really like get people's interest in is a release date. It's like people, you know, people want to play this game, and it's just like like where is it actually in development? You know. At this point, it feels so long over overdue. Uh, it started as a Kickstarter campaign in 2016, so that's kind of how we're looking. And that feels like rude or mean of me to be like, "All right, guys, release date," because you know, developing games are is hard. Yeah, for sure. but like they could they could at least f- frame this as like specifically showing like a certain portion of gameplay or a certain environment, but it doesn't seem like it's just well themed it's just like here's another minute and 50 seconds or not even that once you include logos here's another 90 seconds of footage from the game and development it's like okay that's that's neat i suppose yeah like like i guess if you're gonna give us like another look at this game without a release date uh like at least something meatier than something more you know show like show at least show like, like gameplay with hud elements and like 
a new section on like what the player is doing, like how you've updated the visuals of that certain area. Um, no, but at this point, it's just like. Now, last I, they mentioned, they mentioned that this game is supposed to release this year. I don't know if that's still the case, but yeah. then when they, they, they gave it, they they said 2022 at least at one point. Not that yeah, they don't ever they don't even mention like it's coming this year anymore. It's yeah, just like, they, they maybe kind of silently delayed it. They could also just take the other route where they do like um, one of the trailers we're going to talk about later is one of the uh, the um, what is it the, the Star Ocean Divine Force mission reports, which are like six seven minute like primers on how the game works and we also saw a lot of those for soul hackers 2 before released like having like more of a five minute six minute trailer where it actually says like here are the systems at play here's how the equipment works or perks or something and maybe that wouldn't work on a on a gamescom live stage for a longer trailer like that but i do think that something like that would be more inherently interesting rather than i agree i agree at all but also like the the like the 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 unlike star ocean the divine force and like soul hackers 2 those are actual new games and not like reboots or remakes yeah, of like previous games, you know, it's just a shock. It's like there's only so much you can show that that will be, be like new because at, at a certain point you still want to keep it system shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a trailer for uh, an action RPG, Stray Blade. So this game, I had to remind myself, was announced late last year, and then we got a combat trailer and a private beta. Uh, announcement earlier this year we got a new gameplay trailer at gamescom at the future game show um and this trailer unlike some of the other uh trailers for different action rpgs that we saw actually shows a fair amount of gameplay with hud elements with ui elements there's a theme Um, there's a what a theme this trailer is all about like crafting equipment yeah and they show like some of the like the customization on the coloring and uh things like that uh and some of the environments that they can be used in how they show in, in different lightings uh this is to be announced for next year this is being published by 505 games uh point blank games is the developer i don't remember if this is their debut project or not it yeah, is this not. game's got sort of that like cartoony almost like world of warcraft sort of stylized art which so i'm actually really like okay realistic. with because there's yeah. so many other games that we've already talked about that go for that either hyper real or if or at least like artistically gritty art style mm-hmm. we're having something that is deliberately more colorful and cartoony while still being like mature is kind of a hard uh wedge to to, to fit in but they it, what i what i see here actually looks i don't know it's visually appealing to me uh the two things that stick out to me is that the skill tree makes my head uh, feel things when i look at the skill tree for this game because it feels not things style, but it uh it is complex enough that like it's scratching some part of my brain and um second it's a, the 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 running animation for this game is funny because it has like the 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 character like holds holds his sword like over the shoulder horizontally and as he's moving around he like keeps his he keeps that sword in that position but still has his hand on the handle as well so it's like it's kind of like funky the way he like runs around with like the sword over his like behind his neck <laughs> throughout the throughout the game which is kind of amusing he doesn't like trip and cut his own neck yeah pretty much it is it is i didn't mention this but it is at least it is it meshes better than like what they showed off like the harvestella gameplay demo where like that in the harvestella demo like the the legs feel like they're moving independent of the upper upper body so like it feels like your the upper body is just like in like stasis like and just like just like always moving still while the like the lower body is like Kind of walking independently from the upper body movements. It kind of, it reminds me of like the the small D walkers or the Metal Gear series, which is like mostly leg. One of the other games that we got a gameplay trailer for, which does have more of a gritty, grounded art style, 
is Tainted Grail, The Fall of Avalon, which is another game that is <laughs> slated to come out this year, at least according to um, or early access this year, I suppose. But we got it. We got a new trailer for this. This is from Awaken Realms, which is an independent studio self-publishing this. Uh, it was originally announced late last year. Is it in early access yet? No, it's it doesn't have an early access release date yet, but it's hoping they're planning to be in early access by the end of this year. They released another game that's that was like initially supposed to be like a mode, but they made it its own game, like Tainted Grail Conquest. I think it's like a roguelike mode. They just made it their own game. And that's out. That's actually just out. You can buy it. <laughs> I tried to remember what this game was. I like see through the trailer. I'm like, oh, this is the one that I said Elder Scrolls at home, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> this, when, when this when this stream was happening, you know, for those of us who watch these streams, you, know, you might be following along in a couple different chats, and you posted like this looks like Elder Scrolls at home, <laughs> like we have Elder Scrolls at home, and then in, in another chat, someone just put out uh, they just announced Elder Scrolls Four Oblivion. <laughs> it's not the most fun, fun at the game, but it's like it's the first thing you think of when you see this game. Like, Specifically, they have like a they have a, like an NPC talking to you, um, first person. It looks it looks like an Elder Scrolls game. He just the NPC is like not really like right in your face. He's kind of standing far away. He's like stiff as a board, just kind of talking. Like looks like a Oblivion NPC. So I also didn't realize. I, I, I thought it was amusing that two people made the exact same joke at the same time, and now now I'll always associate this game with oblivion sorry so but the, the fact that this is first person at least primarily i don't know if they said it's wholly first person but that's it for better or worse that's like the only thing that helps me remember what this game is like out of all these different action rpgs that have been announced or having or have already been announced and getting new details like oh what is this one again oh it's the first person one it's the it's the elder so i actually just looked up this tainted grail conquest game on steam it's got five thousand reviews that's pretty good yeah, huh? that's, that's a lot holy shit when did that come oh. out like last year. Oh my god. Oh. So yeah, again, that's like the roguelike game kind of set in the same world, I guess. It's like a card builder. So yeah. Okay. But yeah, and, uh, and just a, a little more footage of Tainted Grail. The Fall of Avalon. I I don't know. I enjoyed Skyrim, so I I'll take I'll take Oblivion at home. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I guess it's, uh, but again, if it's early access this year, I, I like to wait until um, it's fully released, which we have seen that some things can live in early access for years at a time. So who knows when we'll actually see this get to 1.0. And I think the last title from Gamescom that we got a gameplay trailer for is another game in early access. And this is Wizardry, The Five Ordeals. It's been in early access for a few months now, I think since last uh earlier this year or late last year the main announcement at gamescom is that now it's still in early access but now has full english language support uh, as of uh in the in the last week so wizardry the five ordeals was already playable but now you can play it with full but yeah i guess this game originally released in japan in 2006 and then the pc um it was as a japanese only pc title and then it was ported over to steam uh Recently, still in early access, which seems to me like, is that what early access is for? Is that what it means? I'm not 100% sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that that's part of it, right? Because like, if you want to launch in 1.0, you want to give off like the best first impression. Mm -hmm. So that does this makes sense. I mean, when this game initially launched in early access last December, it did have like some UI elements uh, in English, but like not any of like the story scenarios or story dialogue. 
Brand well, actually, that. I can go to the Steam page and answer my question. They say, why early access? Mm -hmm. While the game has all the features of the 2006 version and more, they still need to check that the user-created scenarios and editor service work properly, brush up the game and make adjustments, and make improvements based on community feedback. Which I think yeah. is kind of fun. Which uh, And they, they, they in their little FAQ on the Steam page, they say that it will be in early access for approximately a year and a half. Of course, they give caveats and say it might be longer or shorter because they can't predict the future. Uh, but now available in English as well, still in early access, uh, but available to play up on up on Steam. Yeah, for people who don't like, I guess my, always my one caveat with Wizardry games is like know what you're getting into. Like this is one of those game, one of those games that you actually have a, a published an official online manual using the Steam guide feature. Like I would heavily recommend like reading that before playing the game because it is it is Wizardry. The Wizardry series is like infamous for its difficulty and like kind of you kind of have to understand the game system going in. Or else Do not make off. this your first dungeon RPG. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, that's the big. You're literally tortured everywhere you go. Yeah, Wizardry. So Wizardry is known for being a tough dungeon crawler RPG series, and uh, I've ordeal seems to be a traditional Wizardry experience, which means it's probably going to be hard as balls. <laughs> um, so know that going in. But other than that, that's like all all good news. I really want to get into it but like i need to find the time to do it because i know it's going to be an investment when I, when I decide to pick it up because I, I do miss wizardry it's just like you have to learn you have to kind of have to learn the language of wizardry going in i think the last thing we have listed that had some major gameplay footage was something that we mentioned earlier and that is a new uh mission report video for the upcoming game star ocean the divine force so the last mission report if you remember it's special it's specifically talked about the duma system like the, the the backpack jetpacks that the characters have and when on top of that they've also been releasing these short little character trailers well in mission report three they talk mostly about the game's villains but on top of that they also introduced that star ocean the divine force will have a seventh playable character we got the uh the character bio trailers for the first four characters we were still waiting on getting ones for the last two which were midas and nina but however during this mission report three they talk about the virian race which is like an ancient race of beings that has lived on this uh on the planet for i guess they, they say since time immemorial and one of these characters named Malkia will end up being the seventh playable character of the game. And I had to kind of watch this twice because apparently one of their this race's like abilities is that they have like stretchy limbs <laughs> that she uses uh, in combat. So like a combination of like Luffy or Miss Marvel. Is it Miss Marvel? You mean Mr. Fantastic. Mr. Marvel. No. Mr. Fantastic. Like who's Kamala like, Khan? Yeah, Miss Marvel has like some like I guess, oh. I guess she just has some stretchy powers too. I the the, the new show does. makes it a little bit different to change the power up just a bit. Yeah, oh, well, she has stretchy. Uh, Mal Malkia has stretchy limbs, but yeah. So this game will have seven playable characters. Uh, we've gotten bios. Well, we know all, who all seven are, but we've gotten the official videos for I believe four of them at this point. And then this mission report introduced the last one. Uh, they talk a little bit about uh, combat skills. About the um the, the, as as they introduce Nalkia, they just introduce that her race that she kind of represents. They talk about getting DUMA points, collecting gems. This is kind of like one of the videos I mentioned, where it's a, a pretty beefy seven minute video talking about a lot of gameplay systems that aren't specifically combat oriented, but more exploration or progression. When I when I put my piece up earlier this year about like what I want to see in Star Ocean Six, I. I have I have brainworms for Star Ocean like mechanics that get not so much into the not so much the like pure combat system, but all the subsystems that come into play. 
And whether that's crafting or all these passive active skills, all these other Duma or DMA points, or whatever you want to call it, like, you know. Remember, you got to um, spell it out. D-U-M-A. Yeah, you can't say it. Um, uh, so I, there's a lot there. Uh, I'm sure it'll, to be honest, it's very dense, this video in terms of all the stuff it shows you. There's like these VA, they call it like VA actions. And then like, if you're in some sort of mode, you can't do these actions. Um, I'm sure it'll make more sense when you actually get your hands on the game. Um, and then they tease the next video, which will go more into things like crafting. And it showed Welch and Welch has a look. Now she does. Uh, uh, in her, in her well, new crappy off by the shoulder in this video, dude. She has, she has, she has, she has a get up going on. She has fucking sunglasses. She has a, yeah, she's got like these almost, they're, like, they're almost like aviators with like this big floppy hat. I'm like, okay. <laughs> she has like shoulder frills. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's a lot. She's fucking Gucci up. I I'm forget if I asked this. Was Welch in Star Ocean 5? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Did did did, did she, she have a more standard look? Because I remember she had a really strange looking for. Uh she's a, she looks different, but not too you could you can see like, oh yeah, that's Welch. Alrighty. That's good. That's all you need. Off, or she's not dripped up like in this trailer. All right. Yeah. But yeah, the also saw uh, the skill tree in this trailer, which is scratching of another funny part of my brain when I see it. But yeah, I'm with that of like I, I'm really curious to see what the next mission report is because that's when because they cover all the rest of the battle mechanics in this mission report um and then the next one there's like oh we're gonna cover crafting and mini games and then you saw some of the mini games we already cleaned one of the mini games of this game because we're like one of the pre-order incentives or whatever is like you're gonna get like leneth and like some other things like figurines for a mini mini game and they kind of show that in this trailer of like hey there's a star ocean 4 and star ocean 5 protagonist as like figurines from this mini game like, like some cool. sort of like chess game or something. Yeah, yeah, and apparently you, you can quit them as like accessories as well. These figurines, so it's like okay, that's weird. So yeah, early purchase bonus you get Leneth and Lazar Lazard from Valkyrie Profile, and then Jack and Ridley from Radiata Stories. <laughs> like it's for the mini game Esoa. Like okay, great. So I don't know this this game at the very least like this new Star Ocean feels like a really big step up from the last Star Ocean. I want I want to be optimistic about this game. All right, we've got like a half dozen uh, new release dates uh, that came out of either the game's common announcements or just otherwise throughout the week. Uh, I believe I have these hopefully in chronological order. Uh, something that's coming out in just a couple of weeks. We have a release date of September 15th for Absolute Tactics Daughters of Mercy. This is a game by publisher Akupara Games and developer Curious Fate. Uh, this is a tactical RPG uh, with a sprite-based art style. So as Adam says, or actually it's not sprites. These are more marionettes. These are what we don't like, I suppose. Yep. Yeah, it's got the marionette look. And if you haven't listened to this previous podcast, we mean where it's a, it's a 2D piece of art that is kind of modulated to uh, imitate movement and motion. But uh, coming out on PC and Switch um, on September 15th, it was originally announced last summer. So just a, another tactical indie game that kind of want to give these the benefits of the doubts, but they do kind of like start to blend together a little bit, just admittedly. Uh, there's so a lot this, of video games. Yeah, there's a lot. And tactical RPGs are a popular genre for like these because they're, they're, they're accessible in terms of developing on a, on a limited expertise or budget. But it'll be interesting to see if this ends up. Uh, it's also going to be available on both Steam, Epic, and GOG. So it's on all the Steam, uh, on the all the PC platforms, all the major ones. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if this ends up being uh, something that can stand out from the crowd. It's in a couple of weeks in a relatively quiet time of the year, so maybe it'll have a a chance to shine uh, in the mid September window. But we'll see if this ends up carrying forward any uh, 
lasting impressions. We got a October release date for Gotham Knights. And so I actually haven't followed this, but you have in the header here, James, that it moved its release up to October 21st. So did this actually uh, get pushed forward? Just by like four days. Ah, okay. So this was always going to come out in October. We got a new villains trailer for the game, uh, and then it will release on October 21st. So I don't know if there's anything, like I said, the last time we talked about Gotham Knights, I don't really have a lot of affinity for the DC universe in general, but the villains that it showcases in this trailer are Mr. Freeze, Harley Quinn, Clayface, and the Court of Owls. So all the, all the major players from the universe. The Court of Owls was sort of like the premise of the game. That's like the main villain. And then, you know, we didn't know, we didn't know like Harley or Mr. Freeze were going to be in the game. Like, I guess we we knew Mr. Freeze was going to be in the game. Oh, we did. That was one of the early gameplay demos. Like that was the villain in that one. Yeah. yeah. All I remember from the trailer when it came out, like it was being debuted at the, oh, I think it was opening night live or one of the games. Controllers. Was, yeah. yeah. Well, the, one of the Twitch chatters was like, man, I, I'm rooting for the villains of this game. I hope they <laughs> <laughs> backtrack me up. And that was the, that was the thing I remember this trailer by. Uh, this is a game that I thought had already released, but hasn't, but that is from mountain blade Two banner Lord. This will also be releasing in October on October 25th for PlayStation, uh, Xbox, and PC, both current and last-gen consoles. And I was like, didn't this game already release? But no, we're back to talking about early access. This is Mountain Blade 2 Bannerlord released in early access back in 2020. And it seems like it'll have been there for about two years and is fully releasing this year on October 25th. It's been 84 like, years. Yeah, like I feel like just saying that doesn't put in perspective how long this game's been in development. Because it was announced in 2012. Yeah. <laughs> this thing has been in... Yeah, it's been it has been part of our lives for many years now. <laughs> yeah. And even before it was announced, like Mountain Blade, specifically Warband, was one of those early like Steam games that like back before like PC gaming really blew up, it felt like Mountain Blade Warband was like one of the games that everyone just said, Oh yeah, if you're going to play a game on PC, you should get Mountain Blade. Yeah, I played yeah. I played the shit on Mountain Blade. Like, uh, like uh, it's just one of those things. Like, and there's nothing really on PC, so I guess I'll play Mountain Blade. And I got like sucked up into it. And that was and still uh, a legitimately great game. It's just yeah. obviously it's older, so it's harder to recommend to people. But uh, yeah, it's uh, Mountain Blade Two has been at least for uh, older uh, PC players has been a very very uh, long awaited uh, sequel. Yeah, I remember I mean, when like when cons were still a thing, and I was like barely starting out at RPG site. Like it, it was one of like the the things I saw behind closed doors, like when they're like kind of showing off gameplay, early gameplay of it. I, I remember like, seeing early gameplay of Mountain Blade Two at E3 2015. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Remember how we were talking about earlier how uh, Gundam had about ten thousand players, uh, and um, Slackers Two had about four thousand, five thousand. Mountain Blade Two. Currently, even though it's been on early access for a while, 17,000 players right now, it has 150,000 reviews. Like it has been a popular game in early access. I wonder if that's going to spike even higher with a full release. Yeah, it's one of those things where a lot of PC games fall into this trap where it feels like, and we even kind of fall into this issue too, where like most sites only really talk about multi-platform games. So a lot of PC exclusives are really, really popular, but just not conventionally talked about in the same way. So like you'll look at like the actual numbers and like games like Mountain Blade are like huge, like absolutely huge. And like like Arma is huge, absolutely huge. And then so many of these games, it's just like you don't 
see any discussions about them which is my uneducated hypothesis is is that and another game that i've been interested in but never been able to play uh i found time for is age of empires 4 which has twenty thousand players currently right now on steam i think these games uh my hypothesis is that these games are like well suited and designed for like mono gamers where they are an age of empires player or a mountain blade player or they might play like one or two games but it's just kind of like a close-knit community that is I don't want to say isolated, but just kind of like centralized where they don't move from game to game. They just kind of like try out the one. I think for PC games in general seems to be more susceptible to that sort of thing. So you end up kind of they kind of being end up being like deceptively popular. Like, wow, this game has twice as many players as this other game that I expected to have more. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how high uh, Mountain Blade 2 Bannerlord spikes up once it releases in uh, late October. And to be clear, you mentioned that it is coming to consoles, too. So... Uh, at the right. same time, mm-hmm. right? I didn't. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, Sorry. it is coming to console. I just, like, I just still like uh, think of it as a as like a PC game. Okay. Yeah. Uh, November release date for Obsidian's Pentiment is November fifteenth. This was a game that was announced just earlier this year around the E3 timeline. This is the one that is the smaller scale title being helmed by Josh Sawyer. That takes place in like Middle Ages. Is it Romania? I hope I got the country right. Bavaria. Bavaria. Oops. Yeah. So this is like obviously a very small game with a smaller team, but I still think it's a really interesting premise and art, which is it's mostly like it's RPG like in nature, but focused primarily around like branching dialogue, which I think uh, is a core component of a lot of RPGs. It'd be kind of cool to see one that's centrally uh, designed around that specifically that mechanic. And also, uh, because obviously Xbox uh, owns Obsidian at this point, it will be on Game Pass Day One. Uh, so I'm, I'm very like, interested in this game. It's just that mid-November is not a good time. Yeah, it's kind of right oh. in the middle of everything else. It's but like I think two. Oh, like it's like Tactics Ogre and the PC version of Valkyrie Elysium come out. Then uh, I'm not so much interested in it. Oh, is PC is- Valkyrie later? I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, I, I, I just, earlier in this podcast, I said Valkyrie was coming out, what, September 29th? Yeah, Harvestella is in early November. And yeah, Pokemon we haven't even mentioned because there are no Pokemon updates this week, at least not major ones. But that's obviously a mid-November release as well. That's a major one. So yeah, Pentiment will be uh, kind of fighting for uh, fighting for attention. But I do think it's, it is also in a lot of ways like a perfect Game Pass title because it is kind of experimental and different and not what people right. might have expected from Obsidian. Mm-hmm. Uh, only uh, one sales update for this podcast, and that is for Monster Hunter Rise. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise has reached 11 million, uh, and Sunbreak has surpassed 4 million sales total. Good start. I don't know. If, yeah, it's a great start. Um, James, what was it that you were like? I remember you kind of estimated what you might think that Sunbreak or Rise might end up doing. I think you said you you we're shooting for 20 million was your was your estimate um i don't know if it necessarily has legs to reach that now um but i do think it'll probably uh, surpass 15 million when all is said and done mm-hmm. which is still great it's just like um and it shows that world wasn't just a fluke and the series is well and truly a global series now which is still wild to think about because i remember back in the day like when uh, three ultimate was coming out the uh developer said that that was ultimately their goal to make the series as popular in the west as it is in japan and it's like still crazy to see it's like yeah they've they've just straight up done it like two games in a row so it's like 
and in different, some, and different uh, release yeah. environments too with the switch yep. the, and then pc versus the multi-platform and pc yep anyways uh sun breaks out i i still need to write up something about my impressions about the first title update they are going to be positive uh i i want those title updates to come out, not just because I want to play more, but also because the, uh, as soon as we are done with title updates for Sunbreak, that means we're just, we'll finally get to see what monster hunter six, whatever it's called. is going to be. And speaking of title updates, uh, title update two, it will be launching in late September. And it looks like the headliner for that update is flaming. Uh, it's the one I can't pronounce. Espinus. Hopefully flaming Espinus. Uh, is flaming Espinus from another game or is it a unique variant? Uh, I think it's the subspecies from... Uh, uh, I remember I tried... I can't keep subspecies and variants apart. And don't bother explaining it to me because I'll forget. But it, is Flaming yeah. Espinus a, a new one? Uh, I don't... Well, I never played Frontier, so I couldn't say... I don't think it's new. I don't think, I it's, think, new. I don't think, I don't it's, think new. it's new. But uh-huh. again, like I certainly I haven't played Frontier, so don't quote me on it. Mm. And then the last line item that I have here, and we've kind of brought this up in a few different places in this podcast, is that, yes, Gamescom is ending, uh, I think, tomorrow at the time of recording. But we're going to go right into September, right into uh, Tokyo Game Show. And obviously, there's a lot of things that are speculated to show up there and a few things that have been announced as to show up there or teased at. And one of the first ones, one of the major ones, is that. Koei Tecmo has announced that they will reveal a new Gust game at Tokyo Game Show 2022. Koei Tecmo is already going to show um, Wolong Fallen Dynasty, which is what we started this podcast with in the new section. But uh, they have also announced that they are going to be announcing a new title from Gust. So a few things that people thought that this might be like Blue Reflection or an Atelier game. Uh, people keep saying, like, keep getting hung up on that supposed leak for a Fire Emblem game by Gus. And I keep telling people, no, like, if you look at what the rumors are and you look at, like, what the, like, development pipeline would have been, there's no way this game is actually fucking real. It would have been in, like, the heat of its development during COVID in the same year where, like, Gus released three games. I did no, not hear the rumor that Gus was releasing a Fire Emblem game. The rumor was that the new Fire Emblem game is in collaboration with Gust. Yeah, huh. and it's like, I had not heard that. I, I mean, I'm Koei Tecmo, I'm not surprised, but specifically Gus. It's kind of interesting. Do you remember the one with the red and blue hair protagonist, right? That, that Fire yeah, Emblem game? Oh, no, I, rem- oh I, rem- I remember that. I didn't realize that was tied to Gust. I do remember the red and blue haired uh, image, though. Well, presumably, I, I still don't believe the rumor just because, like, Gus had all was already overworked then, and especially if the rumor is is that the game's been done for a year. It's like now, now, and no way in hell. So yeah. Anyways, uh, Gust has clearly two teams working on Atelier games. They just released Sophie two like five months ago, um, or something like that. Um, so is this possibly a, a new Atelier game, a follow up to another one, or is it like what's the Fairy Tale team doing? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so fairy tale too. Heard it here. There you go. So. I forgot to show. No, not a ghost. <laughs> okay, fine. It won't be fairy tale, but it's heated zero now. Turn uh, we finally on. get a uh, a fourth uh dusk game. Can we get like another atelier like uh like Aisha follow up like maybe an Aisha two to finally have a proper follow up to the game's ending? Or maybe like uh I mean, I they know. did it with Arlen Saga. I mean, they had they've done it with Arlen, and they've done it with Mysterious. So the only one of the modern like uh, Atelier games that they haven't done yet is Dusk. So it feels like it's a matter of time. 
it's if it's a new Ryza, then mer- merch people are going to be happy. They're like, yeah, more about more, more, Ryza. more, more money out of my wallet. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> but yeah, obviously, Tokyo Game Show is one that we always keep our eyes on. And will it be certain things that we expect to see and certain things will hopefully surprise us? And that's only a couple weeks away. I think it's mid September, like September 18th. I don't remember the dates. The, the, uh, the, that's actually a really big one, too, for uh, VR people because they're going to have a, a Resident Evil Village playable for the first time in VR using the PlayStation VR 2 over there. So that's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, they've got that uh, listed at the basically at the front of Capcom's website for capcomgames.com slash TGS is uh, Resident Evil Village VR. But yeah, we'll obviously follow we a couple weeks before we see any details from that, but that'll be a big focus in late September alongside the release of the console versions of Valkyrie Elysium. We've got Made in Abyss coming in early September, and then we've already talked about all the October and November games we're looking into. So it's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a race from here to the end of the year. I don't think we're gonna have any more breathers uh, for on the news front or on the game front. So uh, strap in. But yeah, thank you so much for listening. This was uh, a huge news focused episode of the podcast there was a ton of stuff to talk up to go through and i did not write a single one of these news pieces this was all kite adam james josh and others so thank you so much for all like keeping up on all the all the stuff on the site and getting all these things uh, all the entities updated with the dates with the details of the new releases with new titles uh publishing publishers and developers which change around so i know it's a lot of work on the back end to make sure that all this stuff gets sorted straight and detailed and put up on the site correctly you have something james yeah, I, th- I think the next event that b- might be relevant to us, we don't know yet, is like there's going to be the, some Disney and Marvel games showcase on September 9th. So it's not going to be for uh, another few weeks as well. And that happens right before TGS starts. But you never know. Maybe there'll be mm-hmm. a, a new cool Why thing I... from Disney and Marvel for RPGs. Don't know. Why am I getting uh, uh, visions of that one last Final Fantasy 15 uh, live stream? <laughs> <laughs> Um, they, they, they did say uh, Min- Marvel's Midnight Suns will be there, so we might see like a new like release date for that. Like we only saw that's going to come uh, during the fiscal later in the fiscal year. The most yeah. the strangest, most specific uh, delay announcement. So you know, well, we might fi- finally see like a, a new release date on that, a more specific one. But yeah, mm-hmm. other than that, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be a relatively quiet week uh, next week for mm-hmm. game stuff. Maybe we'll I'll see. finally finish Xenoblade. What did you say, Adam? Like, compared to this one, anyway. This oh, week God, was yeah. yeah, this week was insane. Hell, hell nightmare. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, RPG site can be found on all the social media channels on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, we have a Discord, discord.gg slash RPG site. Go to RPGsite.net itself. We've got the SD Gundam Alliance, uh, SD Gundam Battle Alliance review and guides, all the Xenoblade guides. Uh, Soul Hackers 2 is up as well. Um, as well as all the trailers for all the new games that we kind of rattled through uh, in this podcast today. Uh, if you do listen to this podcast and you listen to us through uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the like, uh, please give us a review, an honest review. It'll help us know uh, if we're doing everything right or if we need to shift our focus at all. It would help us a lot. So if you do listen to us, we would appreciate that if you are so inclined. But other than that, uh, stay tuned and stay safe until you hear from us next time. Take care. We'll talk to you then. Later, everyone. What if the podcast reviews are like? Maybe you shouldn't talk about RPGs. We want you to talk about anything but RPGs. Fighting games, guys. Mm-hmm.